Welcome back to the Hack Attack Podcast. As always, your host, a suicide bomber, Jay. So is my co-host, the investors on Shark Tank, Z. What do you say, Z? The fuck? I'm doing all right. What's that? What's that one about? Well, it's, I think it's a, I think a, a tweet I saw. I think it's based on something I saw. Some of the jokes somebody else made. But I thought it'd be funny. Cause what's the my? What's the connection? Uh, yeah, like what's the punchline there? I don't get it. Oh, well, the punchline is that I come out like my product sharks is this, and I open my chest, and there's a bomb strapped to it, and I kill everyone. Just cause? I mean, just cause, yeah, pretty much. For ideological reasons, or like, because well, I don't want to point any fingers. Okay. Capitalism, little capitalism. Okay. I just, I was like, the, is that the product that we're trying to get them invest in, or what? But uh, and, hey, take your pick. Okay. Uh, well, let's TV judged and all that. Sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> Mando started this week. Started That's right. Mandalorian season three, episode one, called the something or other. Well, Every really, 17. they don't call them chapters, or they don't call them episodes and shit. They call them chapters, right? So this is just chapter 17. Um, okay, I didn't know if it had like a subtitle to it as well. It definitely does. I don't. I'm gonna, I'll bring it up. But okay. chapter 17, uh, fucking, you know how these go. It's the something or another. They do that thing where they hide it. They don't actually show it to you until you start the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't spoil it for yourself, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, which is fun. Well, sometimes it is a bit of like the Marshall was a good example of that where you're like that would have actually kind of you know given you yeah, into what's true. going on. And then when you do, sometimes it's cool as well when they do it correctly because the title can reveal it as you're starting, and you're like, ooh, like the Jedi was probably an example of that. Although, mm. I suppose you probably saw Ahsoka before. It's called the Apostate. The Apostate. Right. <clears throat> um. Right. So yeah, here we are. So uh, first episode of the season, huh? Oh yeah, well, Jack, Very excited. Just, just right off the bat, this we like to do sometimes. Just generally, uh, how did you, uh, how did you feel about this as a start? I thought it was pretty. I think it was a pretty solid start. We got to see a lot, and everything kind of got set up in the right way. We got some cool action set pieces. Uh, yeah, I think it was a really good episode. I really liked it. Hmm. <laughs> Are you not a fan? Well, Jack, let me tell you. I um uh, I definitely agree with the action side of that. I I wouldn't have any complaints there. I think the action was pretty good, and, and there's some fun set pieces in this. But I think plot wise, I um I found this episode quite disappointing, actually. Um, hmm. I think, and and we've we've talked about this at length. And I think I think even at some point I said maybe this will be the last time we talk about it. But I'm going back on that if if that was the case. <laughs> oh, you um, can't say that. We always talk. We always come back. The Book of Boba Fett scenario, right? The real elephant in the room of this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about it, you know, as it was happening in real time when we watched the Book of Boba Fett last year. I think based, you know, with some of the trailers and shit from um, for this season, we talked about it. It, it, it really, it, it is kind of unavoidable in talking about this whole thing. Um, and basically, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt to an extent. Um, but I think that this episode did not assuage my uh, doubts or whatever in terms of that. I think um, this episode basically confirmed to me that they just did the wrong. They made the wrong choice. Um, I think it's a bizarre decision they made. And this just supports that. Because my biggest problem with this episode is that there is a lot of it that is devoted to um, basically you know, rehashing the exposition that we got in those episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Um, so that, basically, I, I suppose, if you had come into this without having watched that show, you would be caught up. But mm-hmm, right. 
to me, that kind of makes it so that we're we're almost in the worst of both worlds here, right? Um, in the sense that, like, you have the people who watch the Book of Boba Fett, or didn't watch the Book of Boba Fett, I should say, who, they're not really getting the full experience anyways, right? I would right. argue you, you definitely still should watch that if you want to really understand everything going on. And, and also, it's just, you know, it's worth watching. Like, it's one of those things where seeing it play out is obviously more interesting than just hearing people recount it, for one thing. Um, but then, as well, right, if you had watched the Bogolo Fed, you have to sit through this whole episode, which, again, does a, quite a bit of that. I, obviously, there's there's other stuff to, you know, fill your time. But I was just, I was kind of surprised at points how how much they rehashed it down to like I, I swear I could I would almost think that at times it was like the exact same dialogue right where I'm just like we know all this I feel like this exact thing already happened right like mm-hmm. the um I don't know like Moff Gideon right there's like a right. line in here about Moff Gideon like oh he went to a New Republic tribunal that exact line was in the Mandalorian or the book of, book of Boba Fett right like that exact thing like pretty much verbatim I was right, like, yeah I was like, we know this. What are we doing here? And and again, like, and they kind of try to work it into the plot, but it still comes across a little, I don't know, ham-handed to me at times when, when you know, Grief Karga's like, but the Mandalorian, I don't understand. This isn't that. Why is Grogu still with you? Shouldn't Grogu be, be gone from your company after the events of The Mandalorian Season 2? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then Mando right. has to just be like, actually, Grief Karga, I think you'll find that if you go watch the Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, there was actually other adventures. <laughs> it's just like other, other hijinks I had separately for a whole episode. I just feel like there's quite a lot of that in this episode, and I suppose as we go on, like maybe this will be the worst of it, you know, being the first episode, and we'll kind of even out. But it's just, it, like I said, it confirms to me that they. They did the wrong thing, I feel, personally, because mm-hmm. having to sacrifice now your whole, or maybe not the whole, but a large part of your premiere, just rehashing all this stuff, um, I think it was it was weaker for it, basically. I think compared to the yeah. other premieres, um, by far the least interesting, just because we didn't get that much new. Right, right. Like, just down to, like... Again, it's kind of intercut with action in a fun way, but still, it's like when you really look at what we're getting here. So the the opening scene, let's start with, right? Mm, yeah, this is pretty cool. I like this. Um, so we see the armorer and her uh, Mandalorian like enclave here, right? Her um, merry band at the largest we've ever seen it, right? This is seemingly more of them than was even in uh, Navarro in season one, which is cool. Mm. Um, but they're all together and they're doing um whatever kind of ceremony here where one of them gets their helmet for their first time, which is interesting to see, right? Um, right. Yeah. Know, everything else involved with this, we'll get to definitely later and across the season, but it's still interesting. Um, even just on the level of like a bunch of Mandalorians hanging out. That's always cool. Um, but this, the, the function of this in our actual plot with Din and Grogu is that Din shows up, right? He, uh, he saves the day with his ship with this big-ass monster, which is cool. I like the monster. Oh, yeah, the weird crocodile turtle-looking thing. The uh, This show has always been good about giving us some classic Star Wars uh, monsters, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this big, like, alligator crocodilian monster thing is just gigantic. Uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, it kills him, and then he, like, meets up with the armor again, and they basically just rehash the exact sort of conversation that they had in the Book of Boba Fett, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's like, hey... Uh, just to just to confirm, 
I am an apostate, correct? And she's just like, yeah, you're still an apostate, obviously. And he's like, but if I were to journey to Mandalore and bathe in the living waters beneath Mandalore, I would be redeemed. And she's like, yes, <laughs> as previously discussed, you would, that would be the case. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anything yeah. for us having watched the book of Boba Fett, did, did you find it like that this, um, that we gained anything from this interaction? I think the only thing that we would have gained is when he shows you that, like, um, what is it that that piece he has of like the inscription that some yeah. guy got. He's like, well, no, this, this proves I can get on the planet somehow. But that's kind of it. He doesn't need to like go all the way and show a person that Arya doesn't like him. So it it, it yeah. does seem like they kind of they had pretty much you know, like there's got to be something that he has to do differently so it can be justified, but mm. not really as well because we don't really know enough. where. We don't know where he got that, right? That's not something we've ever right. seen. So, yeah, I don't know. And have you have you seen any of the stuff going around this week about um, the past couple weeks, at least about timeline stuff? I was going to bring that up. I have heard some stuff about the timeline, which is strange. It's a little weird, isn't it? So, yeah. in summation, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but John Favreau has been, you know, doing a press tour for this, and people be asking him all kind of questions, and um, somehow someone brought up the timeline stuff. And uh, basically, at one point, he said that like the show has taken a taken place across the course of like several years at this point. That the mm -hmm. um, time that Grogu was training with Luke could have been as much as two years itself, which just doesn't seem super correct. I I don't know. I I would agree with the idea that like it has to have been some time, right? Right. Um, yeah. And I think in the book of Boba Fett, when we see it implies that a couple months has passed i would say at the very least but yeah overall i think that's a, it's a bit much and like i saw um dave filoni actually weighed in on it this week as well and he said that he thinks it's probably all been within one year itself that the <laughs> that the season one begins in nine aby um mm -hmm. and he thinks that where we're at in the mandalorian season three right now they still haven't even reached 10 aby right which honestly to me tracks more with what i've gotten from the show itself but yeah they don't they don't make a big deal about how long time has passed and because moff gideon's chasing them and there's a lot of people there's a lot of things that seem to be a lot of time cl clocks they're like moving very quickly so they like have to be going places without a lot of downtime yeah exactly there's not a lot of like milling about in this show where a lot of time would have like just passed off screen so right i don't know i mean there's definitely I think you could also make the argument that there is some passage between the seasons here. Like I'm sure some amount of time has passed between when we last saw um, these guys in the book of Boba Fett to now. I mean, even just on the level of like, yeah, where did they get that thing? Um, the fact that the armor is in a different location than we last saw her. Right. And mm -hmm. she's right up with a bunch of dudes. So that seems to imply that as well, but it's still a little weird. I gotta say. Right, yeah, I, I agree. It's one of those pitfalls that definitely comes in the in the modern age of like, you know, the internet and shit, and in the clickbaity reporting that happens, where you just like corner a guy <laughs> and like ask him mm. a question in real life, and then you can spin a bunch of articles out of it. And it's like John Favreau yeah, said this; he's the ultimate authority on all this for everything and ever. So we're gonna ham, you know, drive this home for a million years about exactly what he yeah. said, what that means. Pick it apart and make four different articles, the four different like theses about it and you never know you went up from down so i don't know it's just a little weird again i i can't help but thinking that repeatedly throughout this episode of like what are we doing here like 
we already did this. You're really making me sit through this again? Because it, again, it's like it, they almost didn't have the actual confidence then, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're gonna do it, do it. Like, and especially because he also said, um, in in that same kind of vein, that he totally stands by that decision, right? To reunite Din and um, Grogu, you know, essentially, you know, for this show, oh, off screen, off screen, right? Yeah. Because a different show is off screen for all intents and purposes, right? And I don't, people have different opinions about this and like, well, you should be watching them all anyways. They're connected enough. And I don't necessarily disagree. But again, my problem is that they kind of wanted their cake and eat it too type thing here, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you believe that, then like say it with your, you know, say it with your chest. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and like there is examples of, of different franchises and stuff doing this, right? I would argue that more and more like Marvel, for example, does this where it just expects that you come in with a base level of knowledge. We've talked about this, like, especially the deeper it gets, the m- more true that becomes, right? You you can't really be expected to be spoon fed everything that you need to know with each, you know, individual piece of media, right? Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I think they, they didn't want to like, they did it. So like, oh, we'll do, we'll connect them with Boba Fett for the start. People were going to watch all the shows and they got to the third season. We're like, well, we know everyone's going to watch all the shows, so we'll just do it both so people don't turn it off or get out of it because we need that, like... Because obviously The Mandalorian brought a bunch of people who weren't really as into Star Wars back into Star Wars because it's cowboy and cooler and more adult or whatever the hell. Uh, so they don't... They definitely wanted that both. And I, like we talked about a year ago with the Book of Wolf, that really to the detriment of all of both properties. I think so. Yeah. Like I said, I... To me, the, the most logical thing still would have just been to more um yeah like completely market that as part of the whole complete thing i i still think they could have gotten away with just calling that a season of the mandalorian i understand why it has a problem again we we've we've you know talked this to death before but i still think that might have been the best scenario and just say listen we know min din's not in this for a while but get over it like TV shows do that i don't know it's a thing that happens sometimes right like oh we're shifting focus for this season but whatever. Um, that all being said, yeah, this first scene is like, again, it's a cool fight or whatever. And it's cool seeing Mandalorians fly around and shoot shit. But when you get down to like the, again, the, the plot of it, it's like, okay, so we got nothing from this because we watched the other show. Um, but yeah, that's, that's his thing now. Um, which again, I, we, I would have assumed it was anyways, but we are sort of reiterating that, that what Din wants to do this season is, um, at least partially, at least the first year, is to get to Mandalore so that he can um, redeem himself. Yeah. Um, so next stop is that he comes to Navarro, right, to meet up with his old pal, Grief Karga, again. Um, <clears throat> this scene it definitely does have more going on, right, in terms of, like, we see new stuff. Um, I do yeah, like this I idea. How... Sorry? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, how uh, Navarro is looking now, like, it's way more advanced you can't recognize it anymore from yeah. what it looked like in season one exactly which is a fun idea i like that you know each season when we return to navarro it's grown in this way and this definitely sort of gives uh i think credence to the idea that more time has passed than maybe we realize because it is kind mm. of like sprouting up right um yeah even to the to the level that like grief cargo's robes have gotten more and more ostentatious each time that's kind of fun yeah He's, he's got the two droids carrying his like the back of his robe behind him. Very funny. That was funny. It's a nice and that's a classic Star Wars thing, right? Only in a universe like Star right. Wars would you have like big long flowy robes to the level that you need it, as well as like, you know, little robots that are dedicated to doing that because yeah. why not? 
So I like that. Why not? Um, but so his thing was the reason he's come here um, is that he wants a droid to go to Mandalore with him because he's still worried about it being toxic and poisoned or whatever because that's what they told him. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the one thing I did want to say about uh, to circle back for a minute about the conversation with the armor is like, and we talked about this definitely with the book of Boba Fett, but I think it's becoming more and more sort of um, apparent is like, she's probably not a great guy, huh? Oh no. She's like the worst. I think we're going to get to a point where she's just straight up an antagonist to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he, she is already whether he knows it or not, but I think sooner or later here, he will, he will fully realize what's happening. Yeah, I'll come to understand because she's getting more and more short with him and just kind of not wanting him to show up anymore. She's like, I guess you could go to Mandalore, but you, uh, they're all gone. Don't worry. Don't even bother. I, we don't want you back. He's like, no, I, I can do it, though. I, I, it's, we, it's in the rules. Yeah, she, and exactly. She's basically like, actually, don't even like bother. Probably. You probably don't even want to go there because it's like no good. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and he's like, well, no, I think I can go there. I think actually it's not as bad as you said. And then I can redeem myself. And she's like, nah, it's like impossible. Like it to me, that conversation made it pretty evident that she doesn't want him to be able to be redeemed. Right. For whatever reason, yeah. like, I mean, I don't think it's necessary that she even has a big focus on uh, Din. Right. Or maybe she hadn't. I mean, I think him having the dark saber changes everything. But right. I don't necessarily think that she has a particular thing for him one way or the other. But. I think that we're going to come to really fully realize and they're going to, um, I think they're going to totally commit to the idea that this is a cult and they're doing culty stuff and it's not cool for the people involved. And from what we've seen, like the armor is the only real authority figure that we've observed from, from the, um, children of the watch. Right. And so, yeah. you know, she's the cult leader here. And so whatever else she thinks it did, like it's in her best interest to keep all this, this shit locked down, right? So that she can maintain her influence and her power, you know? Like cult yeah, leaders she, do. <laughs> keep, keep her absolute authority. She gets to, she controls who gets armor when they get armor. How nice exactly. it is. Just all of that. And so when she, she takes has all the best car away for no reason. Yeah. And when she has these rules of like, well, no, you can't do this because I say so, basically. She, you know, is trying to keep absolute power over like being able to kick people out when she wants and like not let them back in because it's how she you know, holds it all down. And I think, again, well, whatever she thinks of him individually, it's like, well, I can't let anyone, I can't let just anyone back in here, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. We're like an exclusive club here, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, so he's a droid. Oh, wait, he wants IG-11? Or 88? Yeah. Which one is it? It's IG-11. But, uh, 11, okay. They run into some ruffians. All right, those, those space pirates. And then who are trying to get into the place where the old bounty hunter bar was from season one, and which is a school. And Griff Carter's like, "Hey, man, that's a that's a school. You can't get in there." And they're like, "But I really want to get in there and drink beer with the children." He's like, "He's going to their bar. Like, we don't have to have to do all this." <coughs> oh, excuse me. We got to do all this for it. And uh, obviously, they don't listen, and they get all gunned down like in the street. Yeah, classic. By the two of them. Classic. You know quick draw type scenario here where it's cool because grief actually gets a moment to shine we get to see that he's like he himself competent which is cool um and he he draws down on the first guy and then didn't takes care of the rest when they go to be unfair which isn't cool mm, right i mean they were pretty they were pretty sure all things considered grief shot his gun out of his hand and then was like all right well you can go now like we're not we don't have to make a whole thing of this and those other guys wanted mm. to cause a ruckus so yeah, didn't put some all down in the dead. street. 
Uh, what do you think of these pirates? I've, some people had problems with them, Jack, for being too, I think, too piratey, like not Star Warsy enough, want... basically. Uh, I th- I didn't mind them. I thought they were interesting. I mean, they're just in pirates, no matter what, right? I thought it was fun to call King Captain whatever the fuck. Uh, that was yeah, I love interesting, but I, I didn't have any. I didn't have any standout problems with them. Love a pirate king. No, yeah, I don't. I don't either. Um, I think it works fine. You know, like that's kind of the whole thing of the pirates in um in the Clone Wars, right? Kondo and Akka and those guys, like they dress mm-hmm. like actual, like you know, swashbuckling Earth pirates, right? And so this mm-hmm. is pretty much just the same as that. I mean, yeah, they do kind of look, especially the the main guy that they hassle here. He he kind of looks like a like he's from Pirates of the Caribbean or something. <laughs> But I, oh, yeah. I think that works. I think that's fine. Again, I we don't see pirates often in Star Wars, uh, but when we do, that that is kind of how they look. Like that's, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's Star Wars. I don't know, man. It's certainly not the most out of place thing that you've ever seen. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, but yeah, so Den's like, I want IG Eleven to come with me because I want a droid. Again, I think the. It doesn't say it, but I believe the idea is because he's worried it's like poisonous, right? So it'll be difficult yeah. for organics. So he's like, I'll just get me a robot. And he's like, I want a robot I can trust who's competent. And that's the only droid that I've ever known that I liked. <laughs> that guy <laughs> right there. I need that guy right there. Um, so I'm going to fix him, right? And uh, Grief Carver's like, well, you can like take him out of the statue there, but there's not much of him left, which really I'm surprised there's that much of him left given that he, you know, Set off a Looks thermal detonator up. from within his chest, so it's it's honestly you staggering know, that there's even anything recognizable. Anymore. But whatever, especially his chest part. Yeah, you that's what you would think if they like found his head and they were like, yeah, his head, you know, it got it got yeeted a mile that way, and we found it. You'd be like, all right, I got you, I got you. But this is a bit like what, what? Yeah, when his I saw how much they took out of the statue, I was like, "Whoa, that's like most of the statue." I thought it'd just be like yeah, head and part right? of your arm, but whatever. I guess don't worry about it. So they get in there, but it's like it's obviously all fucked up. So it doesn't have its memory, and it's it reverts to its original program where it wants to catch Grogu because it's that's the bounty. Um, and then they do a fun scene where they go to try to fix it. So they take it to um, oh god, what do they call? Little Babu Freak guys. A little, all the little Babu Freak guys. Yeah, I don't remember their actual species name, but that's a fun scene. I I can't lie. You know, that's oh, yeah. enjoyable. Enough. I had fun with that. Their their shop is very small, so Din has to like just sit like in a ball on the ground. It's also fun how like you know they're so tiny that even compared to Grogu, he's like a he's this big giant monster to them. And he's just like grabbing them, <laughs> you know, holding them, shaking them around. Calls up a bad baby. That's kind of funny. I gotta. <laughs> It's accusing. I mean, that's that's like everything you need, right? Oh yeah. The cutest Star Wars characters from the last, you know, from the from the era here, Babu Freak and the uh, and Grogu. I mean, what else can you want? A meshing of the minds, make up millions. It really is. Although, actually, do we know? Do Do you think are any of them actually Babu Freak? Um, I wouldn't think so because isn't Babu Freak like a like, um like an outlaw? Um. I don't know. Or is he just like a droid mechanic? Because I know, because obviously they find him in episode nine. Yeah, yeah. They're called Ancelons, by the way. I got it here. No, there you go. I don't know. It's, I mean, not to be, not to be uh, racist against the Ancelons or whatever species, but like they do all look kind of similar to my in a lot of ways to my human eyes. So I don't know. 
But I mean, that is what Bible Freak did as well. He was a droid smith, so yeah. Um, so they have to get they have to get a new memory card with him. So they're yeah. like, go find the memory card and we'll fix him. So he's got his fetch quest, his classic Mandalorian episode fetch quest. See, well, this is my other thing, Jack. I'm glad you pointed that out because that was exactly my thought at this point of the episode. Was and on a certain level, we're like we're like three fetch quests deep at this stage, right? Um, right. Yeah. So. The Mandalorian season one wasn't as much of this, I don't think, right? And then the Mandalorian season two, it was in a big way, but it was all in service of this one overarching quest. And I suppose in the season three, we have this same same thing where he's got one main goal he's working towards, mm. and these are all parts of that. But like, I don't know. I I don't find this particularly satisfying, where he's just getting like jumped around from thing to thing, right? Because at this point, we're already like three stages deep, right? Because he goes to like. He goes to the armor, and she's like, you have to go to Mandalore. And so he's like, okay. And then he goes to Grief Karga, and he's like, well, I want this droid to help me go to Mandalore. And now they're like, okay, to get this droid, you need to go to this other place to get this chip. And it's just like, I don't know, man. I don't um, I don't know. I just don't love it. Like, it's just kind of like, all right, we're just jumping around. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it better into words, but like... It feels. No, I guess it's it feels like we're doing the same thing. Like we don't. Feels, at this yeah. point, he should be like on his mission. And it feels pretty simplistic and like, it, yeah, it just feels very side questy from a video game. I know, like that's a thing people a term people use a lot. Like, oh, it's a fetch quest. But this in particular, this idea of like, again, we're getting layers deep of like, you need to go here, but now you need to go here, but now we need to do this thing. It's just like, what are we? What's this for? Right? Like, and I know that like John Favreau said before that like the show part of the thing that he likes about this is that it feels like he's just playing with his toys and I, and I get that on some level but also it's like are we not trying to like tell some kind of bigger story with this right like yeah is it really just we jump from location to location because we want to do x y or z you know like action scene or whatever I don't know mm-hmm. I mean maybe I'm being a little too critical but it's just that was just a feeling I had from this episode. I couldn't shake. I was like, we're not doing much. Like, I really expected this season to be a much larger kind of story, or much more focused as well, about mm-hmm. reclaiming Mandalore, basically, and how Din would rise to the sort of, to his um, his role, right? Station. Yeah. Station here as Mandalore. Um, and I, I'm sure we could still get to that, but I don't know. Like... It's just I, I I'm again maybe I'm being too harsh for the first episode and all, but it's just like oh I I kind of thought we would be past this by this stage of of the show here that it wouldn't be this like fetch fest fetch questing stuff as much right it would be like mm-hmm. yeah we're doing an actual big you know sprawling story about this specific mm-hmm. sort of thing but so after this he, he is running with the pirates again the pirate king guy and they try to get him but he's his ship's real good and apparently he's just real good at flying i don't know i mean we always knew he was pretty good but yeah never had a chance to show it off in this nimble little starfighter i guess um yeah, it was, i really like this scene i think it looked really really nice oh yeah it was great fun. definitely some just classic starfighter action so can't complain about that um uh, and then we, the pirate king was like just a algae moss guy oh, yeah. that was kind of fun I agree. Again, it 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 he's very reminiscent of uh, Davy Jones from Pirates, right? Yes, I, I think that's fun. I don't got a problem with that. Wait. Um, and so the next scene is that he goes to meet Bo-Katan, right? Which this mm-hmm. is just another weird scene where I'm like, it feels like they kind of just had to like, I don't know. It it feels a Wait little what he's got. Yeah, it it feels a little shoved in almost in like a handmade way of just like, 
I don't know. It doesn't really flow with the rest of the episode. What's going on here? Because mm-hmm. he just went to like three successive destinations um, where his whole idea is trying to redeem himself and not become an apostate. Right. But then we have this scene where he goes to Bo-Katan and he's basically saying, I just want to join you guys and not, uh, I guess not roll with my old crew at all. It, it did kind of smith, or maybe he just wants to roll with them so they can get him on Mandalore quicker. Maybe. Like, I guess like, I can't I roll with you on Mandalore, then I'll just get to where I need to go faster, and then you get the Dark Saber, and I can get, I get rid of the Dark Saber, and then I can get my cool card back with these with these fellows I like, and we'll all go home happy. Maybe you're right. Maybe he was just like, a, he's going to pivot it into something else, but it almost felt like he was like, well, the other thing I was going to do sounded too hard. <laughs> Is that it? Like, maybe that's just my reading of it, but it was almost like, okay, that's all. So maybe I'll just join Bo-Katan, and then I can still be a Mandalorian, but I don't have to worry about being an apostate. But maybe you're right. He was just like, I'm I, I'm going to join you in the sense that I want to go to Mandalore with you, and then and then I can do my thing. Yeah, because I mean, he, he's only one guy. He doesn't want to like get caught unaware, especially with Grogu. So he's like, well, make Bo-Katan die in the poison gas, and then I kind of get everything I want. Uh, but yeah, it seemed... We we just learned that Bo-Katan, all our all our forces left because they're like, yeah, you know the dark saber, you kind of suck, lady. You kind of been fucking up every time you show up in this franchise. So we're heading out, which is interesting because I don't. I guess I maybe I haven't watched the Mandalorian season two recently enough, but I um, you know, we never see her with notable forces. She had those two dudes with her, right? Yeah. Whatever Wolf and Casca Reeves in season two, but we didn't see her with like substantial forces at all to begin with so this idea where she's like yeah all my all my forces left me it's like wait you had you had a bunch of those with you <laughs> i didn't and where were they at the end of season two yeah like that's weird. yeah they would have been very helpful when they were attacking that you know if she had substantial numbers with her that would have been helpful but so i don't know that didn't really resonate with me either so you're like oh all my guys left me it's like i didn't know you had any of those <laughs> it it might be a thing where she had them like on deck and was like, "All right, I'm gonna go get the dark saber. If when I come back with it, you gotta follow me." And they're like, "All right, we're gonna wait." And then she did. She was like, "I don't have it." And they're like, "All right, well then, fuck you." And they dipped. Like they were, they were like not totally on her side yet, and maybe something like that to that effect. Zach, if you're talking, I can't hear you. We were talking. I was just talking about how. Uh, she may have had these like forts she's talking about in the wings until she got the dark saber back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and when she failed to do it, and it was just like, actually, this other fucking guy who we don't know got it. I guess. I mean, that's what she's saying. She says when she returned without the dark saber, they they melted away again. Returned where? Like again, we didn't ever know she had these dudes waiting. But whatever, mm-hmm. fine. Fine, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's but, whatever. So she's just like, yeah, so I can't help you either. Uh, this is an interesting interaction because I kind of, and I think a lot of people did, and, and maybe it will still prove to be this way, but we kind of anticipated that Bo-Katan would be uh, potentially like an antagonist to Din this season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but this, she's just, I don't know, she's almost more pitiful than anything. She's just kind of like, I don't know, man, I got nothing. I failed a bunch. Like you said, like every time I've popped up in this franchise, I don't actually do super well. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she's, you, you just do whatever you're going to do, man. I got nothing for you. Mm-hmm. And she's also like, is 
being inconsistent. I just didn't cause her out for because at, at first she does the thing she always does when these two interact in this series where she just goes, you stupid fucking cult guy. I hate you and your cult. Your cult sucks. We hate you. And he's like, all right, well, fair enough. And she's like, and I'm cursed. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Is there a curse or not? You can't. Is my thing bullshit because it's religion or do you have your own religion? What's, uh-huh. you, can't have, you can't have both. To be fair, though, I don't think she says it's cursed. I think that's just him. Like, she's or, just like, it's yeah. dangerous there because they fucking destroyed the planet. Like, that's true. It's not literally cursed. You can go there, but it's just, there's nothing mm-hmm. for anyone there. And like she says, right. that you don't have to go there. Like, there's nothing there. There's nothing magical about the fucking water, right? Like, you're not going to be, right. there's nothing to that. And again, I, I firmly believe that the reason that the rule, that's the rule, right? That you have to go to the waters beneath Mandalore is probably because it's so hard to do practically impossible under the current circumstances oh yeah um but like, I I mean, maybe back in the day it was hard too because it's under like a civic center yeah like it's it's not it's not in a place where you could get to them even if the planet wasn't completely decimated if people lived on mandalore still mm-hmm. probably still would be great yeah yeah i don't know just love to see but um she says that it's just a mine like it really was just a mine that had beskar on it and everything else is just like superstition it's again. She says it's been like ravaged, but it, mm-hmm. that's when he's like, "Whoa, make up your mind." I I really didn't think she was being inconsistent there. I think she was like, "There's no reason to go there," but that doesn't mean it's literally, yeah, cursed. Like, right. you, your guys are taking it too far. And I think if the, this episode did do one thing for me, I think maybe it sort of recontextualized what I think the season's going to be a little bit. Um, and I think potentially it's going to be a bit smaller scale. It's not going to be quite yet about him fully stepping into the role of like Mandalore or whatever, like leading people, you know, the whole plan. First and foremost, like a point where he can do that, basically. And I think a big mm. part of that is going to be realizing that the Children of the Watch is bad. Yeah. They're no good. I just don't think, yeah. I don't know. There's nothing we've seen that really supports why they need to do it this way. It really does just seem pretty culty. Um, why? Yeah, I don't know. Why? Why does any of this have to be like this? Like all their rules are just kind of whack. So I think he's going to be like, actually, I don't have to do this. Like I, again, you'd think his repeated interactions with Bo-Katan should drive that home to him. And like mm-hmm. I don't know, Boba Fett and like all these other people, <laughs> um, where he's like, mm, you think you should be like, maybe I'm the weird ones, but yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, but I think that's what this whole scene is going to be. Is like, actually, I don't need any of this because why? Why would you? Like, I really thought that the end of season two was him doing that. And I think we, we talked about this with the Book of Boba Fett episode, is that I was like, I thought he'd arrived at a place where he had come to that conclusion himself. Mm-hmm. Um, showing Grogu was backslid, right? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, was just it? saying, I just said uh, um, about um, him get, try, him taking his helmet off because Grogu was there, but then you <clears throat> mentioned that the very same point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I thought that was more impactful than it was, but afterwards he just went back to his thing, and, and that's when he went to her the first time and was like, oh, I'm an apostate, what do I do? And I was like, oh, I, I didn't expect this out of him. I thought he he had kind of grown past this. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what this season is going to be. Um, is He's going to realize, like, actually, yeah, I don't need any of these rules. Like, what is the point of this? What are you guys doing? Like, you know, and on, on a grand scale, he'll probably come to the conclusion of, like, yeah, why didn't we do anything? Like, Mandalore is is you know ruined and like you know we're all scattered to the winds and we didn't you know the, these divisions are only like hurting us why were we like this like what was the point of it all I think you're 
I think you're not on the up and up here, armor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'll kind of break free of it all, I think. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully. I, I think so. Uh, but I've also heard uh, outside of it that John Favreau has already started planning out season four. So we'll, see what, this, so. we'll, see, we'll see what this takes us. I thought they would have even been further than that, to be honest with you. But I don't see. He did say that he doesn't have an end in mind yet, which I don't know how to feel about that personally. Ooh, that, yeah, that's why we're doing so many fish quests so he can buy himself time. Just yeah, just kind of as we go along. Again, this whole like, oh, I don't know, man. I just kind of do what's fun at the moment. And it's like that's interesting on some levels, but also after a certain point, it's like diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's like I would like to just like you know, I I would like some big overarching stuff here that I care about. Yeah. Um, but Even the Bad Batch is finally coming around for that new episode, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, I don't know, man. Like I said, I hate to be this down because I was excited for it. I do love the show. I mean, you know, obviously it's gonna, it's always going to be special as the first live-action Star Wars show and everything. And, and there's a lot to love. Don't get me wrong. But this episode in particular just didn't do a lot for me because I feel like one after the other, it was just stuff we'd already heard like and i really again it really disappointed because so you know been questioning that decision the whole time mm-hmm. and like yeah for for them to handle it like this and be like yeah well we kind of just have to reiterate it all again anyways i was like so what was the point of all that w- really why why the hell did we do all that yeah <laughs> i hate it again I, it's bad enough that like for the longest time, we've been like, yeah, yeah, we just kind of just internally kind of in your own head. You just kind of have to treat the Book of Boba Fett as Mandalorian season two and a half. But then to do something like this where it's like, oh, well, we had to skip through this all again anyways. I just, I didn't care for it, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is guys. But hopefully they don't do too much more rehashing, which is this first episode. But you could always, I could see them doing a little bit more next episode if there's any like any other loose threads we're not thinking of in the moment. It could be, yeah. I don't know. Let's hope not too much of that, though. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I want to say is just like, in regards to um, to the like, you, we did already say this, and you said you agree, right? That uh, the armor is not not good, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely There's not. I'm still holding out to the fan theory that she is Costca Reeves, uh, or not Costca Reeves. Sorry, um, ooh, I don't know if I remember her name, but the the chick from the Clone Wars. I've talked about this before. Right. Um, yeah, I remember. I think that would be cool and interesting, and it would make for a really cool um, potential like confrontation between her and Bo-Katan eventually, as like the two sides of this coin that like Din has to kind of walk, like find his the middle ground to basically, mm-hmm. um, because they were old enemies. I think that would be neat. Uh, but yeah, I I really hope that like, and I d- I definitely think that's where the season's going. I think that's what it's going to be about is that he he realizes that this isn't what he needs to do. This isn't what it's about, kind of thing. Because mm. there's a lot of people who seem to be like running with this narrative, just like, oh yeah, he has to go to Mandalore to, um, you know, to fix himself to not be an apostate. And I'm like, I feel like they're missing the point. Like, yeah, because then he's right back where he started. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should be treating that like it is just the way it has to be. And it's like, yeah, of course, that's that's how it is. You have to go there because again, and and I, you know, I remember thinking this the whole way through. Like this was. One of the weird things about the Mandalorian at first is just like, why does he act like this? Why does he do all this weird shit that we don't understand? And you know, to have that finally kind of paid off and put to bed, and maybe be like, hey, actually, you can just throw show your freaking face. You know, <laughs> this isn't a big deal. And again, I, I would have thought that like the moment where he's like, oh man, 
you know, this rule that we have that like keeps me from being able to like actually look at my loved ones and stuff. You would have thought that moment with Grogu would have been enough to make him really kind of be like, oh, maybe this isn't right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But again, he kind of backs a little bit. So this is where we're at. So let's hope he uh, figures it all out. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Question for you real quick. Do we okay. think we're going to get much Moff Gideon stuff this season or what? Um, I don't know. We, we might because isn't he the one who was like there on Mandalore when they destroy it? Yeah. And like I, this is the thing is like I don't know who the sort of big bad is going to be this season around, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess that's my thing is like I don't think we're definitely not at the level where it's like Thrawn or whatever, right? Right. Um, I think that's I do believe that's what we're sort of building towards is this big confrontation where we're doing like, you know, the Mandalorians versus some kind of Imperial remnant led by him. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the time being, it's like, what are we? I, I guess it could just be a whole season where he's dealing with like existential kind of Conflict. worldly threats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but maybe this pirate guy will recur a few times. Yeah, he seemed to like swear against him. So maybe. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be dealing with the. Yeah, maybe the armor will evolve into like, oh yeah, she's actually just the main sort of thing we're contending with. So I guess we'll see. Overall, got more faith for next week, I guess. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so with that, we could probably attack out of the Mandalorian into Operation Fortune. Go, um, I never can pronounce the subtitle of this film. Ruse de Guerre. Ruse de Guerre, the newest Guy Ritchie film. With Jason Statham, that got delayed for a billion, billion years. That's uh, right. With Aubrey Plaza and Hugh Grant and another, the other actor who's who is familiar but whose name I forget. Yeah, a couple of couple of notables in this. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, Josh Hartnett is Danny Francesco. Okay, right. Um, real quick, do you want to do just a little bit of uh, what, what's your relationship with Guy Ritchie, Jack? Um, I've seen Snatch. Mm -hmm. and that's the end so i like guy Ritchie quite a bit he's probably one of my favorite working filmmakers at the moment um i've not seen everything he's done either but um i have seen a, f a fair shake more than you oh for sure um and people have kind of i feel like criti criticized him recently for like losing a bit of his edge um because snatch and uh like what's the other one uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, right? Mm -hmm. They are these kind of like really sort of gritty British crime things. Eh, not gritty, but like there's an edge to them. Um, and some of his more recent entries, not as much. But I, I kind of appreciate that in a filmmaker, that kind of range, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Like I really enjoyed um, Snatch, of course. I've not seen Lockstock, Lockstock but I, I would like to get around to it. Um, his most recent film before this was Wrath of Man. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I've not seen The Gentleman yet. I would really like to. It's got a cool cast and stuff. But then, like, I don't know if you're aware, but, like, he did the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. a couple years, a few years back now. I think they're still working on the third one, potentially. But All right, yeah. He did both of those. Um, do you know he did the Aladdin remake? He did? The Disney one? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I kind of appreciate that. You know, in a filmmaker, you know, you know what I mean? Just like doing some other shit. He did Man from Uncle in 2015. That's a movie I really, really like. I do want to watch that, but I have yet to get to it. I think it's a solid movie. Um, and uh, I think this, it has the most in common with this, with this guy right here, with um, Operation Fortune. So basically, what would you call this? It's like a spy movie, right? Like a, um, 
yeah, like a heist kind of. I think the marketing's been hyping up the comedy aspect of it, but it's like an action comedy with, and it's like the spy um, sort of angle, like you know, uh, James Bond type scenario. I remember first time I heard of this, I was very excited because, as as we all know, big James Bond lover. Oh yeah, and I was like, James Bond, Guy Ritchie, sounds good to me, right? And like mm-hmm. even just the name, right? Like his name is Orson Fortune, like. I feel like at this point, any kind of spy type character who has a, uh, you know, fancy like name like that, it's just kind of evocative, right? I mean, on yeah. some level, Bond is almost synonymous with the genre, right? Yeah, you I mean, can't even separate the two at this point. James Bond goes so far back that it's hard to find examples of it even existing before him. But mm. um, overall, I think this, uh, I would say this retains a little bit of Guy Ritchie edge, and like it is a, it is a bit of a play on it, and like he's doing enough of his own sort of flavor to, I think, justify its existence. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's also, I think just a solid example of like this genre. And it's just, it's just a, a fun action movie I found. Yeah. I had a good time watching it. Um, I think there were some parts I wasn't totally a fan of, but I don't, I don't think they overshadowed it as a whole. I still enjoyed my time watching it. Um, so do you want to do the whole pie? Do you want to do the characters? What do you want to do for this next? I don't know. I think we can kind of do broad strokes. Um, sure, it's pretty good. I suppose I don't. I don't necessarily need to like, yeah, spoil it all the way through either. Necessarily, um, I, like I said, I will say I think the marketing for this. I don't. Have you seen trailers or commercials or any for this thing? Uh, I think I saw one or two. Like I think on YouTube, I saw. I don't yeah, think I think I've been. Yeah, I think I've been getting YouTube ads too, and um, I feel like that marketing really um is playing up the comedy angle of it mm-hmm. um to the extent where like i said very excited for this movie when i first heard about it and then by the time we actually finally got to this point um some of the marketing was almost making it seem like it was a movie that i w- maybe wouldn't really be interested in um because mm-hmm. i was like wait is this more of like yeah is it really com- like is it not as much about the spies and it's more about josh hartnett being like a oh hapless like oh what am i gonna do i don't i'm re- i'm out of my depth here right right um and there, of course, is some of that, but the movie definitely doesn't focus on him necessarily, right? Right. Like they still all share the the screen time around pretty evenly. So you know, I, like I said, I was I was happy with that. I actually, see the movie, I was like, oh no, it is pretty spy. And again, there's like there's a just a the bit of like Guy Ritchie grit and all to it. I mean, there's some genuine like you know full on action scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was uh totally cool with that and in terms of the action i think there was some like i think there were some interesting choices made there right i think there was some some you know artistic decisions here that elevated it a little bit at times i don't know maybe just a little you know what i'm saying yeah just a little bit no i see you saying i thought like the opening scene for example was just kind of like neat it was just like um silent oh, like the clicking and stuff yeah that was good yeah it's it's the whole initial heist, um, but you don't hear any of that audio because you just—it's just intercut with just a man walking down a hallway, and the um, the only audio we get is the clicking of his shoes as this whole like violent heist plays out, you know, sort of cut in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so just stuff like that, I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I like this. <coughs> like I was like uh, I did like the one part of the comedy of it how that kind of juxtaposed the like intenseness of their job and like uh, being secret agents and spies and all that. And they treat it like very mundane, mundanely. It's just like the thing uh-huh. that they do for work with like, especially with the running gag of like Mike, 
You're like, oh, yeah. fucking Mike's here. God, God, I hate that guy. Just like, as if you talk about some guy you didn't like at work or some other guy, like a rival yeah, yeah, exactly. group company, which I thought was good. I like that. I, I did too, yeah. And again, they're all very, pretty casual with the whole, the, everything that's going on. None of them are really phased too much by like extreme violence or death or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they, they, they kill a man in a very quick way and they're like, oh, well, there he is. They do kind of. A little bit of a Marvel quip, a little bit like, oh, now we got him, or something like that. Which I, which not to say in a bad way, saying Marvel quip is just that kind of style. Which I, I do think it's like it was funny, but still, uh, I will say one thing I had like, I guess a problem with in the movie, and just at the beginning, it's kind of resolved. It, but the character of JJ in the second half, he does way more. But I feel like in the first half, they had nothing for him to do because he like at one point he literally says like uh, Statham like character uh, Fortune. Hey, I can handle this. He goes, no, nah, I'll do it. I'll do it all. I'll do both things. I, you don't need to do anything. I got it. And it's like, well, hold on. He's all the characters to do something, right? He can't just be the guy in the room <laughs> with the other guy. Yeah. I, I feel you. There's definitely something to that, especially a couple of first like sequences he sits out entirely. So, But like you said, they, they definitely get around to using him more. It's cool. I like JJ a lot. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought it was good. When they, uh, I think all yeah. the, a lot of the characters were really solid. How do you, how do you feel about that? Um, I you want to I, run down I, the cast a little. Yeah, so we got Operation. We got Operation Fortune. Fortune. Orson Fortune, played by Jason Statham. Yeah, uh, he was just so, a Jason Statham character in an action movie. I was, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's just Jason Statham. I think largely. So he's like Guy Ritchie's um guy, right? They collaborate. Right. He's, he's Samuel L. Jackson or uh, Simon Pegg or pick yeah. a director and his uh, Robert his Robert De Niro or whatever. I was gonna say he's like yeah. What is it? What would it be? Fucking. Uh, do you mean like um, okay, uh, Tarantino and Samuel Jackson? Yeah, yeah, Tarantino. Yeah, like the partner up to guy, like is, uh, is to Guy Ritchie as these all those actors I named are to their respective Chino directors. Scorsese. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's Guy Ritchie's guy, so he's in a lot of his movies, and largely, <laughs> I think he's the same dude. Like, I don't know if he's much distinct in this from Snatch, right? Or uh, or like. Ah, uh, what's it called? Uh, Man. I see. I don't know. I've not seen Hobbs Show. I was gonna say. I think the thing about that is that this is just a Jason Statham kind of guy, right? Which mm. means like he's largely kind of monotone, right? He doesn't show very much emotion. Um, he doesn't react strongly to almost anything ever, because <laughs> he's just like you know so serious and hard most of the time. Um, but I do think that Guy Ritchie gets the best out of him, mm. if that makes sense. Like I. He's he's kind of doing the same thing, but he's doing it the best almost because I think he's great in Snatch. Like I think he was pretty good in this. So you know I don't got any complaints about Jason Satham, but yeah, definitely not like a uh, you know ex- expectation sort of um, defying performance out of him. I guess no, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, I felt also I felt like a little bit that things are maybe a little too easy for. Uh... Jason Statham, uh, Fortune's character, because I feel like everybody else yeah. would have like, oh no, like a little um, a robot, I gotta get around this. But then he was just like infallible. Like if he was somewhere and he was doing something, it just worked. And there was like no point where he was like, oh, I, I'm stuck, I gotta take my way out of this one. It's just like, well, I'm just gonna kill him with this gun or I'm gonna beat the shit out of him with my hands or something like that. Which He wasn't challenged much, huh? Yeah, I don't feel he was nearly challenged as much for being the main character. I, d- I definitely feel what you mean with that. I also think that that's kind of a hallmark of these types of James Bond parody characters, which is 
you take James Bond and then you kind of turn it up to 11 a bit because James Bond is already kind of that, right? He can do everything. He's the best at everything. He's, you know, the best driver, the best fighter, the, you know, the best, you know, most charismatic womanizer on the fucking planet, right? Most so drank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you take that and then you, you know, you have to somehow like just distinguish it from real James Bond. It's just like, I guess we'll just make him even more so, right? Onto the level that, like, there is genuine, like, comedic parodies, right? Your, um, yeah, Austin Powers. Austin Powers and the like. But so it's kind of on that level of just, like, yeah, nothing is difficult for him. He's just the best of the best kind of guy. I do like his introduction um, where I don't even know who this guy is. Let's see if is I can like find him. Yeah, so we have Nathan, um, who is Carrie Elwes? Elwes? I don't, I don't know this guy specifically. But um, he's the handler. He's, like, Nathan. But then his boss... Who is like the minister guy? Um, this guy Eddie Marson. He's in. He's in stuff. I definitely recognize him from things. Mm-hmm. But so he's like, I'm using fortune, and that guy like throws his glasses across the table. He just loses it. He's like, No, not him again. Come on. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed that because it's just like he's just fucking with. He's like, Yeah, they keep fucking with our systems. He's keep demanding all this stuff for us to pay for. Drinks all this wine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So they were all cool. Aubrey Plaza. Um, she's pretty good. I yeah, think was, you could. Oh, good. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, I liked her character, but I feel like she just played like again. They're kind of just playing what she does, where she just plays kind of like a social weirdo. Not maybe I, not how she normally would play it as like a Wednesday Adams. Like I'm detached and I'm just kind of saying yeah. odd, off putting things. But it's definitely like a a, a goofball kind of. Not a bad way, just kind of the way it was. That's that's exactly what I was gonna say. I I agree. Um. So we got Josh Hartnett, we said, as Danny Francesco. His role in this is that he's like a, uh, he's just an actor. In universe, he's an act, a film actor, a, you know, a movie star. And um, they recruit him to, you know, get, get at a certain character, basically. Um, I thought he did, did well. I liked the, it's one of those things where, like, there's some layers going on here because he's obviously, the whole movie, he's acting because it's a fucking movie we're watching. Mm-hmm. But then he's acting as an actor, acting, basically, right? Like, yeah. there's parts where... He's, you know, being more vulnerable, like, oh, I'm nervous kind of thing. Like, I'm finding this difficult and all this stuff. But then he has moments where he's he's just genuinely in and he's putting on the show for them. And so yeah. we're watching him act as an actor, basically. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Exactly. Oh. He's the dude yeah, all the dude. Disguise is another dude. Hmm. But they're all the same dude, so there's no no racist possible interpretation no, of that. There's no uh, no distressing makeup involved in this performance. Not at all. Uh, uh, but yeah, but do we want to get much into the specifics of it? Uh, we don't have to do too much because I don't want to spoil it because I think the ending's pretty good. I will say the like the ending little uh, monologue that uh, Hugh Grant character gives. Oh, Hugh Grant, of course. We didn't yeah. say Hugh Grant. Yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's great. He's uh, I, when I saw um, I saw this movie with someone, and they remarked to me that uh, they enjoyed Hughes Grant role because it's not a role he typically plays of like, like a villain. Yeah, kind of like a villainous role. Like he's more he was still kind of jovial, like he is, and mm-hmm. saw in like Love Actually or whatever. But this time he's like there's more there's a sinister undertone because you like he's acting this way, but he also is a villain and who like he's an arms dealer in this movie. So like he's yeah, a, oh, yeah. he's a bad person who does terrible things with like little to yeah, no remorse. I agree. I loved his. Yeah, he has a uh, particular, particular monologue at the end there. That's pretty cool. And, and yeah, he kind of puts it all out there. Yeah, that was that was really cool. 
Um, but yeah, I we I don't have much else to say. It was a, a solid movie. Around the action was really good. Uh, Super solid, I thought. Um, do you, let's we can just talk a little bit about the some of the response it's getting, because um, it's not super strong. It's got a um, it's got like a fifty on Rotten Tomatoes, which oh, it does not Yeah, when I went to see it on Thursday, I had like a sixty three, and I was like, oh, that's not. Ugh, I wonder, but I, I I wouldn't have given it that low of a score, but fifty. Definitely. Wow. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where you know we would have called it fresh. Yeah. Um, it's got an eighty six audience score, so I guess that lines up better with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the consensus is Operation Fortune can't keep up with the best modern action movies, but it's got just enough firepower for viewers seeking a few undemanding thrills. I suppose I can't really argue too much with that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I just wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. It's just it still worked for me, you know? Yeah. Again, I'm sure it's helped along by like, this is my, one of my favorite sort of genres of movies. And, uh, Again, I like a lot of the people involved, so I really just don't have much of a problem with any of it, you know? Right, yeah. I have to agree with that. Uh, last couple of things I want to touch on was, one, what do, what do we think about sequel potential? Because I think it, it does that classic thing of, like, basically, you know, spoiler alert, they don't, you know, the world doesn't end or whatever. They do the mission. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like, hey, we've got another mission. Because there's always another mission, right? That's a of classic. Course. There's always something else to do. And um, I feel like the title alone, like it's called Operation Fortune colon Ruse de Guerre. It, it feels as if you could slot in other movies that were Operation Fortune colon, you know, whatever the new thing is. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just it just kind of got me wondering, like you could bring back this cast or even just frankly, you could just bring back Statham, switch out everyone else if you want to do. Yeah, like a Knives Out kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like a like a James Bond type scenario. Oh, exactly. Whatever. Mission Impossible type deal. Just you know, you keep the main guy and switch out the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I would watch it certainly. I don't know if it's going to uh, going to get it. I don't know how it's doing money wise and stuff. But right, I think there is sequel potential. But yeah, like you said, I think it actually receiving that sequel is uh, maybe a little more slim than we realize. I also think it could be one of the thing, the type of thing where it's meant to evoke that right. Like, it's intentionally supposed to make you think, like, oh, this exists as part of this larger world. And, like, there is more adventures, right? There's adventures before this, and there's adventures after this, right? Right. Um, without necessarily even ever intending to pay off on that, right? Like, for all we know, like, Guy Ritchie never had an intention to ever do another one. But you just sprinkle that stuff in there because it's fun, and it, it just evokes that reaction in, you know moviegoers of like oh it's like james bond right like oh they could do another one right it, it was like the same idea with the original star wars that they called it episode four because he wanted to evoke this idea that you know there, there is a large thing going on yeah right. exactly before he necessarily even intended to fill that all in so i think that's kind of cool um last thing i want to touch on is the reason it was delayed so far so initially you feel like oh this is like a covid thing right, right um, yeah. and an interesting thing has happened here with this particular film is that, and this is very similar to um, a thing we had a couple years back, right? When we watched both House of Gucci and The Last Duel, which were both Ridley Scott films, they were put out within like a month of each other. And I was like, that's weird. Um, this is a very similar thing where you have two Guy Ritchie films, this being um, Operation Fortune and The Covenant that are now coming out within like a month of each other or a little over. Um, and it's like, that's weird, right? Yeah, strange. Um, 
and you think, oh, I guess it's still a COVID thing, but then you're like, wait a minute, it's 2023. Are we still delaying movies for a year because of COVID? The answer mm-hmm. is no, basically. Um, Operation Fortune, and I don't know, I, I guess I won't speak, you know, take too strong of a stance on this one way or the other, but right. the reason Operation Fortune got delayed without comment for uh, pretty much an, an entire year, pretty much exactly, um, was because it was... a. Uh, the villains, or some of the villains in, in this, some of the antagonists, the, the guys who steal the thing and are selling the thing, basically, um, are Ukrainian mobsters. And it was a, as a reaction to the um, Russia-Ukraine war, they basically decided to not put it out because this was initially supposed to come out in March of last year, you know, right. very shortly after that began. Um, again, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that was necessarily a necessary decision. It feels mm. to me like I, I wouldn't think people would like care like people would associate that as being a, a comment you know on the real life event necessarily you'd like uh, yeah. to be able to differentiate I don't know how Americans or even international audiences would react to that like I said I, I would like to think that it wouldn't really be a thing but I don't know um, largely it ends up being a complete non-issue right because the final movie that we see um <laughs> has zero mention one way or the other of where those guys are yeah. from correct yeah it doesn't even say it once not a not a once so not a once not a single time i kind of had to reconstruct that where i was like wait a minute i know why they delayed this i guess it was those guys because <laughs> again it's just never said and i don't think the film is any weaker for it so it really makes you wonder why they couldn't have even just done that a year ago, but yeah, just, just cut out a couple lines. AD, ADR something over. They do that kind of shit all the time. You'd think so, but hey, what do I know? Just make them Russian, right? I mean, listen, not to step on any toes here, but is it really like for most audiences? I think that change would work and be pretty yeah. inoffensive, and like it wouldn't stand out, right? No, I mean, again, not to, but like I. People in Ukraine do speak Russian and stuff. I mean, again, to to American audiences, you think it's all kind of the same to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's important to say, but I just feel like feel like there was ways around it other than waiting a year. Because here's the thing: they waited a year, and it's like, oh, this conflict is still going on. As it turns out, as you know, armed conflicts are want to do sometimes. So (laughs) they had to come up with a different solution, anyways. Uh, how could they know? Movie direct, movie executives are kind of stupid. Hey, we've said it once. We'll say it a million times, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we the last time. All right, we can act tech out of Operation Fortune into episode eleven of the Bad Batch. Metamorphosis. I knew it this time. Incredible, Jack. Good job. Finally, I knew an episode title. See, when you said it, I was like, "Oh no, I gotta, pull, I gotta pull it up. I gotta pull it up." <laughs> quickly, quickly. That. You had it the whole time. I had it. Wow. Uh, this is a pretty good episode. I think uh, my friend remarked in this episode that this is the episode where we're finally getting to see why they make why they're making the Bad Batch, like what's yeah. the kind of overarching kind of how, where it fits in the larger Star Wars narrative. I think you could definitely definitely say that. Yeah. Um. I I thought frankly this was an excellent episode of the Bad Batch. Um. Oh yeah. Really, really enjoyed this. Um. And you know, dare I say, you know, I, I think this was better episode of TV than. Uh, than the Mandalorian was this week, you know. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to say so. I'd say it's, at least for me, I liked the Mandalorian more than you did, but I think it, I think it's close, closer than I would have expected from these two. Yeah, I'll yeah. Be and you know, Star Wars is my jam. You know, mm-hmm. I love it. 
you know, they're like my children, you know, insert metaphor here, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sometimes like with children, you got to like kind of scold one and uh, uplift the other. Be like, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your brother? God, you should have died in that accident instead of him. <laughs> why could it have been you? <laughs> oh, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, love is a complicated thing. You know, That's love, how you is kids. L- love is kind. Uh, sometimes love is, love is is making fun of your uh, the thing you love uh, relentlessly on the internet, I think. Oh, yeah, for a podcast. I believe Shakespeare said that. So uh, He was wise, ahead of his time, Shakespeare. Well, I mean, those sonnets, man. He knew what he was doing. So. He knew what he was doing. He was like, uh, some, something, love is something. Uh, you, you'll get it. You'll get it. No, I don't have to tell you. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, uh, episode, <laughs> I yeah, I thought it was excellent. Um, I think, like, top to bottom, everything in this one, from plot to, like, the, the direction, the presentation of this one, I thought it looked excellent. I mean, this show always looks obviously like really good from just a baseline animation standpoint but i think some of the actual sort of you know filmmaking you know like creativity on display here was really good um some of the opening stuff just like the the angles and stuff we're using you know it's it's weird like i think people don't necessarily give one of the you know give the same credit to animation when you talk about stuff like that but especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about a a 3d um you know a, a cgi show like the Bad Batch, I, I believe a lot of times the camera, you know, work is kind of the same. I mean, you don't have to physically manipulate a camera, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea is, like, as a director, you go in there and you say, I want the camera here, right? Like, I want the perspective to be... Because, you know, everything else is already done. Like, the the shot, as it were, already exists. You would just have to decide the angle that we're going to see it from kind of thing. I, yeah, I believe. Yeah. I could be wrong. But I, I think that's more or less how it works. And um, I think there's some good stuff in this. There's, like, this episode obviously has a real, like, horror movie sort of uh, slant yeah, very, to it. Very alien. And I think they do a really good job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the return of the clone commandos in this episode, which are just always cool to see. They're oh, really yeah. great. Uh, just, yeah, just cool design. Gotta love them. Uh, people who have listened to for a while, um, when we talked about season one of the Bad Batch, will know. Big clone commando guy over here. Love oh, the public yeah. commando. Love that. Uh, shout out to my boy, um, David W. Collins. Always doing good stuff. Always working that sound. Big sound guy. He's a big sound guy, man. And God, he he always he just he always does it, doesn't he? He does. He never fails. Um. So yeah, like you said, it's kind of an aliens type, like or alien, whatever. Uh. You know, clone. He's the last guy on a ship, and the ship is like all messed up, and something's something gets him. And then we um, have our return to Mount Tantis, Tantis, whatever it's called. I'm not, I'm not, not sure either. Positive. Um, but we doesn't tell us in the episode, so no, I don't think so. I think it's one of those things where, like, I don't even know if it's ever said or if it's just a thing that people have put together. I believe Mount Tantis, Tantis, is a um. It's a legends thing of some kind. I'm not. I'm not intimately familiar with it, so I'm not super mm-hmm. sure. But I know people were excited to see it. Um, but we returned to that, um, which we saw only briefly at the finale from last season, and this is the first time we've seen it this season, right? Uh, yeah. I don't think we've seen it yet. Um, but we have uh the arrival of this new character, Doctor something or another. Doctor Evil. Basically, <laughs> he certainly acts it. Uh. This guy's cool. I'm a fan of him. Yeah, um, he gets interesting. He's kind of a cool introduction, and like he's given a, a good amount of like a certain I don't know gravity by the by the episode here. We're like, Ooh, mm-hmm. who's this new guy, right? 
He's kind of distinctive. He's got like he's got your classic one glove on type of thing. He's got a relationship with the old Kaminoans. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a he's a he's a spooky evil scientist kind of man. And uh I can respect that, you know? Oh yeah. I believe I'm trying to remember now. Um he is voiced by someone notable, but now I can't remember off the top of my head. Give me a second. All right. Metamorphosis. Oh, that's that's who it is. It's Jimmy Simpson. Oh. Um, you know, Liam McPoyle and and young William from Westworld. Oh, wow. I did not expect him to be in a yeah. Star Wars thing. Isn't that fun? That is fun. I was like, great. Uh, Matt Martin, who's one of the story group guys, tweeted on, on, on Twitter, obviously, this week. He was <laughs> like, it's about time we got a McPoyle in the bunch. So Yeah, that's fun. Or something to that effect. So, yeah. And he does great. I definitely didn't pick up on it at uh, first, but I guess that's, that's good voice acting, right? I mean, he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's the character. He just totally yeah. embodied it. So. He's lost in the role. Yeah, absolutely, and he's yeah, he's he's pretty spooky and and stuff. So, yeah, I like him. He's a cool new guy. Um, his and his character is Doctor Royce Hemlock. Oh, it's a good name too. Doctor Hemlock's a solid name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not too goofy. Star Wars. That's not like Doctor Gross Klubglock. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my God, it's Doctor Klubglock. He's here. <laughs> um, but so with the actual batch this week, right? There we cut. We we. Open with them this week. They're arguing with Sid, of course, because Sid's the worst. Just the worst, right? I mean, oh yeah, man. Not a big fan. They kind of addressed that. Um, they're they've finally had enough of her as well, right? Yeah, they're like Sid. What the hell? You know, this is not planned to die. And she's like, Oh, my bad. You, but you got back. You see, all wells and ends well, right? Quick wine and I'll go get this other thing for me, and I'll give you thirty percent. And it's like, I don't know. It it shows how thoroughly, um, you know, she's she's tied up there with her i guess and and honestly they're loyal to her in a way that she obviously very much is not to them oh not at all because it's like if they were as as loose with their morals as she was surely they would just be like well we'll just take the tip and take it all because we're gonna collect it and then we'll have it right i mean it'll be that i mean obviously they don't understand the full extent of what they're dealing with yet but if the idea was like hey go loot these valuables off the ship you think we'd just be like okay well now we have them why should we help you like you suck so. And they could just kill her because she's just an old tradition <laughs> lady and they're soldiers. Exactly. Even Omega could give her a run for her money. She's a small little girl. I think Omega would, would take care of her real quick with that bow. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they're like, okay, maybe we'll do this one last job because, and this is a pretty good point that like if they if they um, cut things off too harshly and like burn that bridge too heavily with Sid, well, then she could like potentially rat them out to the Empire. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty fair because she knows mm-hmm. a fair bit about them. So they're like, let's go figure this out. Let's go find this crash ship. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they search around this crash ship. It's like, you know, it's almost up pretty spooky. And they encounter the the creature on board that was the, the cargo that was being transported, right? Oh, yeah. More or less. It's a cliff notes of it all. Uh, and, uh, we also know that we, I think we, this is Dr. Um, Hemlock also wants to continue the Kaminoan research. He's got yes. the survi- a surviving Kaminoan, Narose. La- uh, Nalase is Nalase. the scientist. And then Lamasu is the prime minister, I think, that they bring in to convince her, bring her around, or like to whatever, get info out of whatever it ends up being. So that's the situation we got there. And he's also trying to get the uh, get whatever's on this ship. He's very, very concerned with it. Oh, yeah. Spe- yeah they mentioned it specifically they're like we need that one like more than all of the other ones 
yeah, and um, I said we got this creature. It's like very hard to hurt or or kill or anything. It's like feeding off of the power in the ship, um, and it gets out. It makes for the the power grid of the, the city nearby. Yeah, this nearby village, and uh, basically starts it starts feeding off that and and growing, doesn't it? And it, and it kind of change kind of metamorphosize metamorphizes. You like, you uh, could say you could say that perhaps some might perhaps say. some might I would, and it be, uh, comes this like. At first, it's like uh hasn't have really eyes. It's kind of like a not like a bug, but like a weird lizard thing. And then when it grows bigger, it gets like limbs. It's real big and long and lanky with like a defined head and eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, and it becomes it, the Zillow beast. The Zillow beast, yeah. Zillow we realized beast. this was a Zillow beast the whole time, which was kind of cool. And it was like I, I like that they did it, its initial design was distinct enough that it wasn't quite obvious. Because um, there's mm-hmm. a couple points where I was like, wait, is that? Is that no? Surely not, right? Uh, but no, it was. It, it was a Zillow beast the whole time, which is pretty cool. This is a you know, this is a plot thread from the Clone Wars that we never really got. You know, we never followed up with. It's probably it's probably been about ten years now. Um, hmm. well, I guess over ten years, really, from that episode. Yeah, it's probably. Like, what are we doing with that, right? Um, and that's kind of one of the you know one of those things that comes along with going back and forth and crisscrossing your timeline with different. Uh, material you know universe like star wars because it's like so supposedly right you know the they got a hold of this zillow beast during the clone wars and how come that you know the empire never really used that to its advantage and you know obviously the, the answer is like retcons <laughs> but yeah you know we're, we're starting to fill some of that in it's like well, yeah what, what is the deal with this thing right so mm-hmm. basically they seemingly only had one surviving zillow beast in the clone wars episode and then they kill it because it goes on like it's you know like a King Kong style rampage across the city and they got to get it. Right, yeah. But, um, and then he's like, Hey, uh, why don't you clone that for me guys? Let's get a hold of that. It's got like really, you know, blaster proof scales and shit. What's that about? And, uh, yeah, it's still not obvious necessarily what they are going to use it for, but it's obvious that they did successfully clone one. Um, and clearly this is the danger with that, right? Is that it mm. is still just as like, you know, destructive and also difficult to harm itself. So it becomes a pretty dangerous thing to keep around in like, you know, cages and shit. Cause it's like, well, it doesn't want to be there and, uh, mm-hmm. you can't really stop it <laughs> clearly yeah. not effectively. So now, does it eat energy in the Clone Wars episode too? Yeah. yeah. Remember. What happens is they wake it up by like dropping a bomb on it, basically inadvertently. Like it's part of the lore. They um mm. they have a big like ion bomb that turns off all the droids during this particular battle, and in doing so, it wakes this thing up seemingly because it's, because it's you know gotten all that energy. I guess would be the idea. Yeah. But yeah, it does the same thing on Coruscant where it's like eating the energy and shit and like getting all powerful. So I don't remember how exactly they kill it in the Clone Wars. To be totally honest with you, I haven't seen that episode in a minute. But <laughs> they might use that big laser. Uh, or something approximate. I think it's probably something to that effect, but I don't think they kill it in this episode, do they? They just kind of no, no. They just I think they just like neutralize it. it. So, but uh, yeah, they got one, and it was cool. I thought for some reason I was under the impression that there was like a, a sort of some other middle piece where we did have a little bit more information about the Zillowbees, but I, I went on like just a quick little research this week to make sure, and it's like no, it has not been mentioned since um, since that Clone Wars episode. We did not have any, you know, follow up on that until till now. 
save for one one time in a um it was like one of those they did this they did this uh, uh comic series for a while there where they did like age of it was like age of republic age of rebellion age of resistance which was just you know the three main eras of the of star wars and they did little one-off right. um comics for a bunch of different characters right and Kylo Ren got one, and in his, he fights a Zillow Beast. Oh, Basically, dang. the comic is that, like, Darth Vader shows up to this planet and fights a Zillow Beast, but he's not able to kill it. And then, you know, 30 years later, Ky- Kylo Ren... Kylo Ren does it. And he is able to kill it. That's kind of the gist of it. So that was one of the only times, other times we'd seen one of these at all. Um, so I guess, yeah, this is the first time we followed up on that particular thread. So I saw an interesting theory this week as to what maybe down the line the Zillow Beast could be used for. You got any any ideas there, Jack? Well, what it could be used for? Um, I want to say like taking its scales for like armor or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the thought process here as well. But it's something particular that we've already seen. Eating all the clones. <laughs> it was the um the theory was basically that maybe they're using it and it will for for what will become the dark troopers from the Mandalorian because those guys were oh. pretty pretty. Uh, like resistant, they weren't lightsaber proof, right? Right, no, because Luke cut them because Luke down got them. Easily. But uh, you know, the Mandalorian struggled pretty hard with those. So, so I, I was like, that seems like a good explanation as any, especially because people believe, right, that um, there's some connection between Mount, what's going on at Mount Tanis, and um, what you know Moff Gideon is doing in the in the Mandalorian with his experiments and shit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, belief that like those are all kind of connected and and you know may- maybe the same sort of uh branch yeah so if that's the case then it would all kind of make sense right oh, yeah. so yeah it could be it you know that maybe the cloning that Moff Gideon was trying to do all along was like so based on, although he wanted Grogu for something or another right so that's also a, yeah probably to steal his metachlorian juice and something like that it's still not put in somebody strictly obvious right but yeah I thought that was uh I don't know. It's pretty reasonable to me. Made as much sense as, as anything, I guess. Yeah. Um, in terms of the batch, they they get out afterwards, right? Oh yeah. They make their their escape when the like the cavalry shows up, and then the empire comes in and just like rounds up all the inhabitants of that village, <laughs> just to kill them. I think probably, or you know, send them to like work camps for the rest of their lives, yeah. whichever one. Pr- probably the Which latter, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, might as well use them. Might as well use them before mm-hmm. you kill them. You know, whichever Some one is more cruel, really. <laughs> Everyone can squeeze the most amount of suffering. Because they're like, how many people did, How many people saw them? Uh, several. Well, get rid of them all. Who cares? That's real lame, huh? Like, you gotta yeah. go to, you gotta do whatever horrible thing because, like, you witnessed the Empire screw up. Like, that's their fault that the ship crashed because they didn't take the threat of the Zillaby seriously enough. And it happened to crash in your planet, and now you gotta go to, like, space prison you gotta go to the space yeah, blog i mean come on you gotta go to the indoor work camp yeah exactly they're gonna make you you know you gotta like get online now now you only got one way out i mean what the yeah. fuck <laughs> or or it becomes uh or even worse like you're asleep you're not even awake and then all of a sudden the empire wakes up it's like come on it's like what because because jim saw it yeah he's out at night it's like, like we gotta on, take man. you we gotta take you to space prison and you're like for what and they're like that thing you saw and you're like i didn't even what i didn't even see it I'm supposed to go to work today. It's night. It's in the middle of the night. How many of us you really think saw that, man? Come on. Come on. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We got you. So that's a real shame. Um, I liked uh, in this episode, right when the Zillow Beast escapes, 
and text like I, he, he clearly ate everyone, all the crew members. And I was like, oh my god, he ate them. And she was like, dude, come on. Yeah, no, like, that what? was good. I like that. So he said something about the fact like he ate it, and then she's like, he ate them, and it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Come on, that's a giant monster trying to eat you. Like she hadn't considered that that's what happened to them all. They just all left them on a cord. Yeah, she hadn't put two and two together in that sense, and it really upset her. Which, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like, well, yeah, Mega, come on. I mean, obviously they, they've been eaten. I mean, let's let's be real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we and, cut back to the the Montantis there, and mm-hmm. uh, again we got I, I think it's Lamasu as the prime minister, and and Doctor Hemlock here is like, hey, how do we uh? How do we get Lama Sue to do all the or now say whichever one's which? I I have no fucking clue at this point. <laughs> Long neck. I mean, there's only like four Caminos. That's right. Um, Cam- Cam of the other ones. And he's like, "What do we have to do to get her to cooperate?" And dude's like, "Well, she had this one clone in particular that she kind of enjoyed. Um, and she was particularly close with. You find her, probably use that as leverage." And he's like, "Great, this is incredible news." <laughs> Um, and that's that's basically where it left off, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it. Credits, we got credits, baby. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that's and it's that is of course Omega. So we have a, a sort of a new reason for someone within the Empire to actually like actively seek out the Batch. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's Jimmy Simpson here, our boy, still McCoy. Liam McCoy, a lot of milk drinker. <laughs> You're right, it's Liam. That is Liam. Um, so that'll be interesting. I mean, that that certainly will kind of give a, yeah, definitely a, a sort of renewed purpose to the the episodes here. I think. I mean, if we've had one complaint, I said it can be a bit sort of aimless in in some of the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, I've always said that like the character stuff is there anyways, but still, it doesn't hurt to have a more clear idea of like, oh, this is what this is what we're working towards. This is what you know the the. If there is, you know, if it can be said that there is a main story to the Bad Batch, it has revolved around the cloning and the Kaminoans and stuff. So, and, right. and you know, Omega and her her fate and existence, everything. So that all is going to get paid off here, which should be cool. Oh yeah, uh, I was excited to see it. Uh, also, what do you think? I'll bring this up real quick. That uh, they'll use these um, Kaminoan and their research to kind of explain the. Um, Palpatine clones we see in episode nine. I've seen some people said they might try to connect it with that with the show. Oh yeah, certainly wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean he's got something going on there. The you know the Mm -hmm. explanation given I think in like the outside lore for that is that it really that that planet is just full of like all those Sith Eternal cultists who like are just real into the Sith. They just love it, (laughs) and that's their thing. So like I think the scientists that bring him back, strictly speaking, are supposed to be those like. Sith cultists, but um, right. also you can't imagine that those people know a lot, right? Like, surely the tech itself and the knowledge has to come from outside, anyways. So, right, yeah, it would not surprise me if that's if he uses their tech and stuff to set up, you know, his cloning operation over there. Mm. You know, the I gotta say, the lore surrounding Palpatine's return is some of the sort of <laughs> spottiest lore that exists in Star Wars as of currently. What? Oh, it's airtight. Mm, yeah, and, I, and somehow Palpatine <laughs> returns. I mean, that's yeah. The the actual like lore is not much <laughs> better than that, right? I mean, pretty. It's pretty much what it all boils down to is somehow Palpatine returned. Um, uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if that circles back around. I mean, people thought that from the Mandalorian, right? That the Mandalorian was trying to draw mm. connections between Moff Gideon's cloning stuff and um, Palpatine's cloning stuff. I don't think that's what that show's about, right? Uh, right. I, the thing you got to remember is that, like, af- pretty much immediately after a- anything post Return of the Jedi, um, Palpatine is not connected to or you know anything to any of the remaining imperial remnant right because he's because he is dead for all intents and purposes and like his whole thing mm-hmm. is that like these guys all sucked that's why they lost i'm starting a whole new thing right right um, and he, not that he doesn't have like his fingers in those pies necessarily but it's like that's why he's that whole operation cinder thing which is just like hey this empire sucked you know the rebels suck but also if my empire lost in such a big way they suck too let's burn it all down basically <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, the thing is, is that he's, he's hidden even from, you know, his old supporters and stuff. So like, and the people he trusts most got to go on and make the first order, but even the first order is not his end game. Right. Right. Like they are also just a means to an end. So it's, it's all these levels to it basically. I mean, again, it's also because there's the lore is convoluted because initially the, you know, the first order was supposed to be his actual like next step, but you know, the, it's gotten muddled because he came back so it's like wait what the fuck was he planning it, it doesn't really make sense because yeah. there's too many moving parts but is what it is Dave Filoni and Jump Arrow they'll straighten it out for probably us probably not I don't think that's their job <laughs> that's honestly the biggest thing is like those people are like oh Dave Dave Filoni and John Favreau are going to fix it with the, they're going to retcon it all it's like if you really like what they were doing right would you want them to like have to have to work this out yeah have to fix people's mistakes like sense? if you hate the sequels and you love the Mandalorian, is that really what, like, you want them to have to fix it for you? I mean, I guess the when they say retcon, they literally believe that they're going to, like, somehow make three new movies and, and ignore the older ones, but that's not, I mean, that's not happening. <laughs> right, of course. That's insane. So, but whatever. I digress. But besides that whole Palpatine tangent, um, yeah, I don't know. It, again, it's one of those things where it's like, we know they don't, or at least we we've never heard of them doing too much cloning, and like obviously we know they don't have a clone army or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is like probably gonna you know not amount to much, right? And I think you know there's but right. again that's its own sort of story. Like the prime minister there, he has an interesting sort of line, which is pretty he's pretty on point, right? Um, to Doctor Hemlock there, where he's like, oh, I guess you better figure it out, because like if you don't figure it out soon, then you're just gonna end up in a cell like me. And he's right, right? Yeah, uh, it's the Empire world. If you're not useful, you own the cells. That's exactly, the gulag. That's exactly it. Like no one's safe. Like, and again, we—that's kind of you know, lore-wise, one of the reasons the Empire fails is like you have to have people who trust and work together to at least the most basic extent. <laughs> and the Empire doesn't even necessarily <laughs> yeah. have that most of the time because it's so doggy dog that it's just like it's it ceases to be functional after a certain point, really. But right. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we're dealing with. So I I think potentially that is that might be where uh, old boy Doctor Hemlock here ends up because you know very few people last too too long in the Empire, especially these rising stars. Oh, yeah. You know, something something pretty as flowers get picked. You know, <laughs> something something nail that sticks out gets yeah, yeah that's it. There you go. It's a good one too. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah, like they these guys who try too hard are usually not the ones who actually end up succeeding. So. Uh, we'll see, though. I, I think he's got the potential to be interesting for a while, at least. We got uh, five more episodes this season, so 
could go a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, look at that. So, blast us into April. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do we got a Star Wars thing coming up after that? I don't think we've got anything after that until... Oh, gosh. Um, Ahsoka or... Uh, skeleton crew. I don't know which one of those ought to be first, though. I would have thought Ahsoka, but yeah, because I mean, that's oh, Ahsoka's the only thing I've seen. Like, and we're filming, and here's pictures of us filming, and yeah, it's most I've heard. I think recently they were in that um, recently that Vogue cover with all four yeah, of them. Yeah. Recently, I think Rosario Dawson seemingly confirmed that it will be this year. So there's that at least. All right, I'm sad. It just feel fun. like it does feel like there should be more going on, doesn't it? It does. What, oh, when do we have visions? Visions two Ooh. has to be relative. I would assume this year. I would assume the summer then, like July or June. Um, Skeleton Crew says 2023. Uh, what, do we got anything? It just says 2023. Um, let's let's couple more googs. Star Wars visions. Uh, May f- oh May fourth. Oh, perfect. Okay, okay, okay. So we got that. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. That might be about it, though. I mean, those. I guess that's three. That's three live action series, a couple animated series. That's more than we got last year. Oh, yeah. When you definitely. really look at it, so I guess you can't complain. But yeah, it does feel like there's less um, fanfare around them, at least thus far. There yeah. will be a bit of a drought, I suppose. So. Yeah, but we got how long is Mando? We have Mando. Oh yeah, just... Mando will be next couple months here. So eight episodes. Oh, perfect. Up into perfect May itself, so yeah, all right. So I can take out of that into The Last of Us episode seven, mm-hmm. uh, Left Behind. Ooh, Left Behind. I was gonna say, oh boy, here I go, Mullen again. <laughs> not in the way you'd think. Not, but not in the way you think. Uh, yeah, Left Behind. It's it's the shares the same name as the uh, DLC, which it's based on, which. Began life as like a comic book, and then it became a DLC for the actual game. It's a whole thing, but um, basically, this episode leaves. It does actually pick off to our surprise, or my surprise at least. Um, I speculated last week that we would. Uh, we I knew what this episode was about, right? We knew from the trailers and stuff that this was going to be the flashback one. Um, and again, that mm-hmm. that title kind of gives it away. So I speculated that it would just be purely flashback and. Um, we wouldn't and not even flashback and is in so much as just a, an episode from the, you know, that takes place prior completely in, in the past as it were. Mm, and yeah. uh, we wouldn't get anything as to, you know, their current situation, but that's not what it ended up being. It does in fact, pick up right where we were. And mm-hmm. Ellie is able to get Joel who's, you know, dying essentially um, into like a house and, and try to start, helping him to whatever extent she's she's capable of and the whole time yeah, he, he's like you just gotta let me go like it's not gonna happen you should leave right like mm-hmm. classic sort of uh paternal like and survival instinct that we see out of joel which is just like well i'm already gone so the only logical thing for you to do is to just just go right hit the road yeah go find tommy you'll be safe with him. yeah yeah you know you you kind of remember where tommy is you can get back towards him um oh speaking of jack we just got the launch of uh, the new episode just now huh? oh, oh yeah we would have um but so he's like i'll get out of here like go and she's go on get out of here yeah go on get yeah, go and seemingly right ellie like genuinely contemplates it she's like shit maybe i ought to and that's when we enter into our flashback, right? 
Oh yeah. She's running, and we start with her run through a run laps in a gym with her Walkman. I don't know why she gets a Walkman and no one else yeah, does. Where'd she get that? She's like an orphan. No one's giving her shit. Yeah, they, did she steal that? What, did, what, did you do a lottery? Oh, yeah, I doubt. Goddamn, dude. I always forget because I was like, Walkman is honestly almost outdated, but I keep forgetting that it, the apocalypse happened in 2003. So I guess a Walkman was more yeah. more relevant. Was more in the, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was quite as relevant, but. No, it would have been pretty, pretty. All right, though. Mm-hmm, yeah, because it that one looked like didn't look like Star Lord's one. So this one's a more '90s esque version. It would be that or like what a uh, I guess like a, a CD, like a mobile CD player that was like that. But even then, when, oh, when did yeah. C- player, CDs really pick off, kick off, take off, whatever? Correct. <laughs> I, I think the '90s, '90s, 2000s, or early 2000s. Because I mean, cars had tape decks in them well into like into the you know 2000s, right? So yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It was it was during our, it was the, it was when we were too young to remember. Oh, so no, yeah, certainly, we all you know we've been lived pretty much entirely in like the digital sort of age. But anyways, um, she's got a Walkman. She's got some clearly. She's got some excellent taste, hasn't she, Jack? Oh yes, so some good old Pearl Jam. Um, yeah, Druckmann, who's the creator of The Last of Us, right? Loves him. Loves him more than I. I'm I'm not ashamed to say. Um, that's mm-hmm. why they find their way into this series so much. Um, but she listened to some some Pearl Jam, which is classic. Uh, she gets in a bit of a bit of a scuffle with a classmate, right? Yeah, she steals it because she's not running fast enough. So she pops her in the fucking mouth, which assumably does more because she she right. needs to get Man. stitches. We learn they they have a bit of a brawl. Um, well, it's not even about taking the uh, Walkman as much as it is because she throws some shade on Ellie's friend, right? Right, yeah. We don't yet see, but um, yeah, we have a bit of a off-screen punch-up where Ellie puts this much, much larger, seemingly good bit older girl into uh, mm-hmm. the infirmary. So yeah, because she, she got that dog in her. You know, you kind of she got, she only knows one way, and that's the dog. Exactly. So gotta give her that. You know, it's one of the you know she's got a black eye with her, but you should see the other girl, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she ends up in the in the principal's office. And a kind of that, doesn't she? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that, that'll happen. But it's the fascist principal's office, so it's even worse. That's right. The the commandant, as as it were, of their little military school, Captain Kwong, and he's like, gives her the classic rundown, right? Of like, Ellie, you could be so mm-hmm. much more. Why are you doing this? You could be an officer. You could be a fascist like me. <laughs> yeah, come on. He basically gives her the their there are men with loaded guns and men who dig. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty much exactly what what the deal is here. Yeah. Um, and like, I I really thought this was a good bit of like interesting sort of world building. Um, just for the whole the whole way that this all works, right? Of like, yeah, especially because his what he's laying out is like it would suck to be a, a like a you know general kind of grunt infantry in um, Fedra. Hmm. You know, and then like the nice life would be being an officer. But I, I think the, the interesting thing to consider about that is that like most people don't get either of those options, right? Yeah, they're just stuck to just following whoever tells them. Because like as much as it would suck being a grunt or whatever, most of those people, I, I think, I think truly, right? The majority of people living in the quarantine zone don't have any. I don't think they have jobs, right? Like, there's just not almost yeah. enough to go around. I'm sure there is some people who are essential to, like, making it go around. But when you look at, like, what S, uh, S, Tess and Joel were doing, right? 
it was seemingly mm-hmm. at least officially like they had their all all their you know their Smoke. yeah that stuff but but in terms of like the legitimate side of it they just kind of like picked up odd jobs of like guess i'll burn some bodies for you like <laughs> just yeah hold. i guess i'll do sewage duty to get me some fucking meal coupons like <laughs> just horrible shit so like you know even then i was like oh i, I you know as much as it would suck to yeah be a grunt or whatever i also got the sense that like that's the best most people could hope for that's more than most people could hope for because if you don't basically if you weren't an orphan you didn't end up in a end up in a federal school right like would you even have the chance to join them it it almost Probably seems not. like they would only want the people who are like basically you know raised and in condition to father yeah, to to even you know be around so i don't know that's it that was interesting to me so and she's hanging out in her room right uh when she gets mm. a, a bit of a visit if from uh rue's sister from euphoria right. who's storm reed who's portraying um riley oh yeah in any episode here so this is ellie's friend who left to cause the the commotion before and uh she she takes her on a on a fun night out in the town oh yeah uh she joins the fireflies we learned that that's why she was gone for so long i was like yo you're joining the terrorists that's not good and then they're having like you know an ideological battle because they're both young and they don't they're both kind of indoctrinated by the factions they've chosen um and like ellie find a debt I was gonna say, I think Ellie puts up a show like she's like, oh yeah, I'm not really one of them, right? But I think you can mm-hmm. tell at times that that like subconsciously it still has gotten through to her, right? Whether oh, she yeah. the things she's about, yeah, like she might think she's above the programming on a certain level, and she probably is more aware of it. But uh, you know, at the same time, it's also probably has penetrated to like, well, those guys are terrorists and stuff, right? Like I've heard that it's, it's mm-hmm. like this with advertising that um people who think that they're above advertising that like they they're not affected by advertising are actually like the most affected by advertising because mm-hmm. they it's a weird paradox because they it. yeah i guess they're less in, like inclined to even put their guard up because they're just like no it doesn't even work on me ads don't work commercials don't work on me so i don't even worry about it and it's like ooh, that's how they get you <laughs> yeah they're almost working on it they almost can see it more than other mm-hmm. people um so maybe it's kind of like that that like these two who are like the are kind of rebels, like thinking they're above the whole thing. They might actually uh, be more susceptible to the yeah, like you said, their their respective sort of um, conditioning than they think, right? And mm. even though she's only been part of it for like a few weeks here, it, it seems that Riley has pretty fully embraced like some of the some of the Firefly philosophy, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so they. In, in escaping uh, out, I was going to say, yeah, and getting to their second location here, they find a, just a man who's just overdosed recently, yeah. which is pretty grim. Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to, like, jump out and grab him or something. No, he's just dead, it turns out. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's kind of a mundane death as far as The Last of Us goes so far, right? He, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't get torn apart by a zombie or, or like, executed by raiders or anything. He just, uh, just OD'd. He just makes pills and liquor when he shouldn't have and uh, died or you know if you go off of ellie's theory here he did it on purpose but nonetheless they uh they steal his liquor (laughs) (laughs) as his body falls to the floor and uh we see that kind of like you know um i don't even know what you call it like the the weird sort of edgy side of of ellie right Mm -hmm. where she 
the morbid, morbid side yeah, of her. That's, that's it. Where she like is laughing at it and thinks it's funny. Um, but yeah, they uh, they're they're drinking the the dead man's liquor. They're like leaping across rooftops like it's fucking Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they make it to the the place where I wants to show her, which ends up being the mall. In the old boarded up mall. The old Valley Mall, where all the kids used to play and, and mm-hmm. hang out, because it was, you know, the early 2000s, and they used to actually do that still. Yeah. Those kids, those days, they, they had their Walkmans and Pearl Jam, and they were happy. I guess they were. We used to be a country, Jack, a real country, you know? We, yeah. When kids could, when, when teenagers would mill about the mall for hours on end, and actually, like, that was the, you know? That was entertainment, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, not, not their tactics or Exactly. Whatever. They yeah. weren't tic-tacking at a, mile, a million miles an hour, you know? You, you and your all. friends just stood around the balls, I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't there. And harassed, har- harassed people? Probably. I've been to a mall. They're boring as shit. <laughs> uh, no. I can't imagine yeah, I just, walking around. You just, you just go to, you know, pretty much every store for, you know, Saturday after Saturday that... <laughs> Doesn't change very much. They don't look at the stuff you still you don't know, really have like, enough money to buy. I don't yeah, know. And stuff you don't really need or and maybe even really want, but you're like, I gotta use this money for something or else why do I have it? And then you eat at the food court or something, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how it went. Too many steps. Um but it's so it's cool here. So we uh we have we have the power and she's able to turn it all on and we get the, the mall to come alive again. God bless. So how did you find this, Jack? Did you did this stand out to you? Because I've seen a number of people kind of um, skeptical of of this, of the functioning of the yeah, mall. basically, and like the the amount of power that they would be using, um, the idea that this would basically go unnoticed. Um, some people are are a little skeptical of. Uh, I I definitely think I'm a little skeptical of it too, because like it's everything's like making noise mm-hmm. and it's very bright, so it's like. You would see it. Well, they do kind of address that, right? Doesn't she say it's like, yeah, it's like boarded, boarded up, up and hidden and like it's almost below in such a way that Where everybody, that like yeah. it wouldn't actually be obvious at least. But yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I've kind of both sides. Some, some people have said like, oh, but if you think of it in the sense that, you know, you have a power grid that was designed to support millions of people now supporting however many, you know, poor saps live in the QZ. It's kind of, you know, um, plausible that like, oh, maybe maybe power is not a thing they really struggled too much to to create, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, you still need something like the power has to come from somewhere in a, in a more right, yeah. in a more like practical sense. Like Boston would not have been getting its power from Boston, like from Massachusetts. Yeah, maybe yeah, exactly. Might right. maybe not even Massachusetts. I don't know exactly what their deal is, but. You know, a lot of times when you have big cities like that, they're actually getting their power from hundreds of miles away sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. With, like, you have actual, like, fucking coal plants and shit. So, you put it in that context, too, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they, they still need something that they're, you know, basically, every everything that we have, pretty much in the U.S., which isn't, like, hydroelectric or, or whatever, solar or wind, is, like, you need to burn something to make something else move to make electricity. Mm-hmm. That's how we get it. So... You gotta imagine they don't have a ton of that on hand either. So basically, I, I kind of I can't disagree that like power probably is at something of a premium for them, and they probably have someone somewhere who would be aware of this kind of thing and would take notice of how much they're using. 
to run the mall yeah. for a couple hours, but I don't know. It's one of those things where I didn't really I didn't think about it exactly. much longer than like exactly. That's just it. I didn't really think about it, so. But uh, they played Take On Me, huh? Oh, yeah, they definitely did. Love that song, man. Love a good Take On Me. Love that song, Jack. You and I and, and, and good friend of the show, Colin, argue about the, uh, well, the, the, the relative, you know, merits and, and whatnot of 80s music. In, uh, You're a hater. I'm, certified I'm, I'm, hater. So, I'm something of a certified 80s pop music hater, but Take On Me is a real classic, I gotta say. Yeah, you can't take it. You can't take. That I wouldn't. I that. wouldn't try to. You know, I think it's the best one, Jay. You know, you can keep your uh, Rick Astley and uh, give me give hey, me a bit of aha. It's a classic. It's it's something, but um, this is an actual good song. So, <laughs> give me aha all day, baby. Are they Swedish or something? I think so. Uh, probably. Or am I thinking of ABBA? And ABBA is just similar to aha. Like, oh, I think letters wise. I mean, I know ABBA is is Swedish. <laughs> Well, you're probably conflating the two. I don't think there'd be two Swedish bands with A's in the beginning. Of or maybe they would be, because the Swedes are strange. Ah, the pop band. Drum roll, please. It's Norwegian! It's Norwegian! Ooh, we're pretty close. Hell yeah. I'm so good. I'm so smart, Jake. Those Swedes. The Swedish invasion of the 80s. Yeah, is that a thing? <laughs> Must I have been, know. I guess. It is now. Don't look... Listen, Evident- don't look it up. Well, no, Just would, believe well, me. It wouldn't have been Swedish, because if, uh, if Ebba is... Uh, Scandinavian. Scandinavian, though. that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but the Scandinavian invasion. It's kind of a slant. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Good on him. Uh, you know, Aha did a uh James Bond theme song, you know that? Did the Living Daylights. Oh, did yeah, they? yeah. It's a good one. It's a it's a solid one, I think. Is it, is it from one of the movies? It's from the Living Daylights, yeah. Oh well I would have skipped it if I watched the movie. <laughs> you're so like I skipped the other ones. You're a real son of a bitch, you know that? <laughs> hey man, I gotta get to the movie. Just show me the movie. I don't need a frilly little Song, get to oh, it. I gotta... But anyways, they're playing Take On Me. They're hanging out at the escalator. Um, and Riley's like, I'm going to show you the five wonders of the mall. And um, well, it was four wonders, and then it's the escalator. That's right. five. Correct, exactly. Thank you. Um, and I would say it's right about here, about here that we, we start to pick up on a little bit of a bit of a hint of something betwixt these two. Oh, yeah. That maybe goes beyond platonic uh, friendship, right? Yeah. Platonic roommateship. That's right. They were probably roommates. Right? And they were roommates. Um, Sappho and her roommate, or whatever. You know how it goes. Yeah. Oh, of course. But anyways, um, there's like a there's like a moment here where they kind of like fall into each other's arms on the escalator, and then they're like staring at lingerie. It's a whole thing. And you're like, you get the sense, um, that like hey, maybe there's a little bit of something to this. Um, they talk about the the. How like when when shit started to go wild, people stole all the wrong things, <laughs> which <laughs> kind of makes sense. Um, oh yeah, they stole stuff that was like they thought was valuable, and they're like, oh wait, food's gonna be mm-hmm. valuable. I mean, I guess sneak like they say it like sneakers are like aha like a luxury, and I guess sneakers strictly speaking are, but like shoes in general, not a bad thing to stock up on for an apocalypse no. scenario. But still, and they probably they didn't get soap or anything. They just. Basically, they just devolved into like pr- probably looting the valuables that they wanted and not anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they have this moment where they're like staring at the lingerie and they're like, hmm, and they have a they have a bit of a moment there. Um, you can tell that Ellie's pretty nervous around her and that there is something else going on. Um, mm-hmm. Some that tension, exactly. Play. And especially with this next scene where we do a bit of a ride on the merry-go-round, which is fun. Love a merry-go-round. We had a we have a mall near us that used to have a uh, 
carousel in it like this that was like notable. It's gone now because oh, yeah. uh, you know, fuck me. Because the woke left, probably something like that. So called tolerant left wouldn't have it. I prefer the bench part of the merry-go-round. <laughs> yeah, just a little bench. Just a little bench. Just a bench. Have a little sit. Uh, it, to be fair, this is one where the the horses don't move much. They're not, they're not going up and down, which is like yeah. that's really how you you know you're you're riding, you know. And let's say you know you're winning. Think of the lose. That's my horse is always winning. I don't know about you. I assume you lose because you. But when I was on the merry-go-round, my horse was always, of course, the the horse in front. Yeah, the front, the fastest mm-hmm. horse. Mm-hmm. So there you go. My bench was pretty fast. Mm, no, I don't think it was because it wasn't riding up and down. So I don't even believe it was moving. I believe you were just along. Imperceptible to human eye. Mm, so I quick. See, I see. <laughs> But yeah, um, it's a cool. I got some nostalgia for for a carousel like that. I guess they took it out because they wanna. They really want to make sure their mall dies as fast as humanly fucking possible. Because it's like, oh, get rid of them. Yeah, why have anything notable in there to try to keep it going? Let's just make the yeah. shittier WalMarts, you know? Oh, of course. And then just have like it take up a bunch of space, and you know, tear down a couple forests and fill in a couple swamps and yeah, exactly. You know, big big boom. We're gonna. It's it's gonna get to the point where they start selling those for just pennies on the dollar. You know, I'd buy a mall. Let's buy a mall, Jack. <laughs> the Agatech mall. That's gonna be like the 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 weird intersection of shit in like in in American society in like the next five years is gonna be like malls going completely out of business and becoming like worthless real estate, and then like housing becoming prohibitively expensive, and all of Gen Z is just gonna start living collectively in malls. You get it? You feel me? That'd be Wouldn't sick. The economy. Little mall societies. Ooh. And then I could be a little. I could be the landlord of the mall. I could lord over oh, the no, mall. Jack. Oh no! You've already, you've already ruined it. No, no. we're speed running it. Uh, but yeah, anyways, let's do society in the malls. Let's do society in the mall. That's what I'm saying. You know, you feel me? Oh yeah, lord of the malls. Um, so there, uh, the reverie is 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 disrupted though by another one of their little ideological arguments here where Riley's like, don't you know they were going to make me guard shit? And Ellie's like, ooh. <laughs> so clearly, um, they did not have the same kind of faith in Riley as they did in they Ellie, did right? Because instead of making her an officer, they're like, you're just going to guard shit. Which, again, grand scheme of the thing, right? I mean, like you got at earlier, right? It's kind of like a, well, there's guys with guns who guard the shit, and then there's the people who are actually in there uh digging out digging the shit. shit and it's like well one of those is still better than the other right yeah i mean i understand fully that like as a 16 year old that's not gonna that's not what's going on between her ears you know what i mean like i get it but yeah. uh yeah it's it's just kind of one of those things to consider just perspective wise it's like it's really probably not that bad all things considered you know yeah at least you got something to do yeah because you've got a gun. steady source of food and whatnot oh absolutely Again, when when um, Captain Kwong there is like, oh, you you eat shit food as a grunt, and it's like, yeah, but I also could be digging literal shit out, you know, for the possibility to get some fucking ration tickets to buy some food. So, to buy some kind of like morsel of like the leftovers you yeah, exactly. eat as a grunt. Um, but yeah, that's that's why she ran off. Basically, was not necessarily out of this um, ideological like purity. To, to join the fireflies but because it was like she didn't really have any other options which you know that's the way it goes sometimes yeah um we get on to the next thing which is a like a photo one of those photo booth guys which is kind of fun it's still functional because why not you know who cares yeah and they 
even though the, the film isn't quite there. No, the yeah, the pictures don't come quite quite out. Don't come out quite right. That's what I was going for. <laughs> um, that's all right. We have a good time. It's about you know, it's journey, not the destination. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and then they move on to the next one, which is the arcade, which is really pretty cool. I think oh, this yeah. is very two thousands as well, because even in our lifespan, like the idea that a mall would have an arcade in it became totally gone. Right. Kind like, of. Yeah. I'm- Arcades aren't really a, a thing. Yeah, strictly speaking, they're not really... You really gotta have... You're talking about like standalone destinations which exist pretty much solely to be arcades. I mean, like, we have a Great American Arcade within, like, you know, spitting distance of us and stuff. Different mm-hmm. little things. I mean, and you got your... Of course, you've still got your Dave & Buster's out there. Well, Dave & Buster's is forever. But, um, it's not quite the same, is it? No, not at all. But, uh, again, a lot of these machines are still working in there, because why not, I guess? And uh, they play Mortal Kombat. It's the big one they get into. Oh, yeah. And uh, I clearly are both fans of it because there's a Mortal Kombat poster in the room. Yeah, yeah. The barracks. But obviously, they would have they would have never played it, right? Frankly, yeah. they would have never. Like, you, you could almost expect them to be more, like, blown away by this. Because they've literally, presumably, never played a video game. Like, yeah, they wouldn't know anything. You would expect, at least. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe they... Maybe they know someone who's got something, but you would almost think that like this is completely like totally new to them, which is cool. They do some fighting. Um, they even know the fatalities, which is impressive. Again, considering they probably never played this. I guess whatever like yeah, I, whatever like video game magazine they found that poster in probably had like all the you know all the. The, the combos. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I was thinking. There's some kind of book in that room. Exactly. Because one of my friends was like, "How would they even know that?" Like, well, maybe, probably. It's something. You don't think. Also, who cares? Don't oh, think yeah. about it. Well, I've I've just done that, haven't I? Well, that's all right. Well, you did it ironically. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't really doing that. Um, but they're fun. Oh, they're joy. They're they're childlike wonder. Um, well, it is of course their undoing, Jack, because they live in um, a horrible world, not not fit for human habitation, don't they? Oh. No. <laughs> Whether they realize it yet or not. Um, oh, yeah. There was so much worse than they could even imagine. Exactly. If only they knew how bad things really <laughs> exactly. were. Exactly. So, in their rever, again, they uh, don't realize that they've awoken uh, an infected that's in the mall with them, right? The Zillow Beast. The Zillow Beast. No. They can't even penetrate his scales. Oh, no. Oh, God. Um, but they go into uh Riley's room basically the which is to say the corner of the food court that she's been sleeping in yeah <laughs> for days there's got to be a better spot to sleep in the mall correct like is there any reason for that to be the spot i i, I don't know man like it seems so she's lying yeah, on the cold like tile floor of like the yeah the back of like a a taco yeah, shack like the back kitchen area of like a taco that's got to be horrible surely there's some like one of those stores has like carpet and probably some some plush clothes. Maybe there's not much clothing left, but I mean, you could construct yeah. some reasonable bedding for a bunch of that lingerie if you really need to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there must be some like eighty pennies you could go Come to. Come on. Well, like a bed yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Ain't no way anyone's dragged out them. If they have one of those, yeah, where like there's a there's like a, a sample bed sitting out there. There's no way anyone's been able to drag the mattress out of there in the, in the apocalypse. So, oh, God, assuming no. it's not just full of like insects or something. <laughs> You'd be all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just move the insects out. They want to have a comfy bed, too. But So they stumble upon... Well, Ellie stumbles upon the pipe bombs that <laughs> Riley's been guarding. And that's where we're kind of like, oh, yeah, you are a bit... You know, the uh, the fireflies really do have some 
questionable methods. Oh yes, and uh, they they have another and confrontation have, about it, where Ellie kind of is like shows a little bit, but also reasonable. Like, are you going to bomb innocent people? She's like, well, they told me they're all the bad guys. It's like, well, hold on. What do you mean they told you? Well, and she points out the sort of obvious like thing here, which is like, well, assuming nothing changes, she's going to become Fedra. And if Riley's going to become a Firefly, like they're going to be directly opposed to each other, right? Because you can do your whole like, oh, we don't do innocent people, only uh, you, (laughs) only you guys. (laughs) That's only people that you know and that that you've grown up with. That's basically what you're saying there. Like, oh, we're not going to just do any old people, just you specifically. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, great. Um, And she drops the bomb on Ellie that she's leaving um, for Atlanta because that's where they've decided to post her. Which, again, like, I, I kind of pointed this out in the first episode, right? And I think it is, um, you know, at, at play here as well, which is that, like, on some levels, I don't know if Fedra and the Fireflies are all that different. Oh, yeah, not, not really because at all. Because the reason this all started is because Fedra was like, hey, Riley, go guard shit. And Riley was like, I don't really think, I think I'm capable of more. But that's what they told me to do, so I guess I gotta, you know. I don't really have much options in this. And now we have this thing where it's like, hey, Riley, um, go to Atlanta because we told you to do so, even though you don't want to. That's like, is that is that really that different? And you'll probably die on the journey. Yeah, right? I mean, that's what I thought. I was like, it does not seem like a trivial thing to send somebody to Atlanta when you're in fucking Boston, Boston. from the type of world we've seen. Like, that seems like a pretty severe thing that you're imposing on somebody, but... Even in today's world, if you were like, all right, go to Atlanta right now. That's a good like, point. If you started at your job yeah. and a month in, they were like, we're going to need you to go work at our Atlanta location for even just a while. You'd be I, like, what? Ever. It's like, I got to move my whole life for Atlanta? Come on. What the hell? I think it's Atlanta. Um, so she, that, the, basically the idea was that this whole night was because, well, you know, this is the last chance they'll probably the unspoken thing here is that it's probably the last time they'll ever be able to see each other again. Because yeah. again, like the, the table where they live in is not conducive to interstate travel. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Um, and so Adley storms out, but she thinks better of it and makes her way back. Right. And, uh, then she hears like some commotion and, and is distressed, but it turns out that the, the final wonder of the mall that Riley was going to show her is this like Halloween type store. And there's like a spooky skeleton uh, lawn decoration making the noise. And, uh, well, they basically make up, right? Yeah, they make up. They wear spooky Halloween masks, dance around. And, uh, well, they, Ellie, uh, shoots her shot, basically. She takes it head on and she, like, goes in for the smooch and, uh, successful. Love to see it. Big yeah, w. it turns out that it was there the whole time and they have that classic moment of, like, Oh, geez, you the whole time. Oh, you the whole time. Oh, golly. Oh, wow. Look at this. What a time. Um, but of course, again, because they live in a, in a, in a world more horrible than they could ever realize, it's immediately r- shattered. Um, Riley even agrees, right? Not to leave. Like, that's how good thing is. And, and of course, because they're in such yeah. a moment of like joy and understanding and passion, the worst thing has to happen. Which is that they. He gets in there. The uh, the infected that they woke up finds its way to them, and um, they do mm-hmm. a bit of a fight, but they're no good because they're a couple of uh, you know, 
unexperienced kids. Um, Riley's got a gun, but she's she's no good with it. Basically, <laughs> and she's pretty shit at it. <laughs> they just kind of put it in her hands, I guess. I don't know. Um, and eventually, Ellie gets it with her switchblade, but not before both of them get bit, huh? And it's like the same, and both in there. I know in the same spot. But Ellie gets bit, and obviously the spot in her right arm, and uh, oh, Riley gets bit in her hand. Yeah. And there's that moment where, like, they both like freak out. And start like smat and Ellie's like smashing everything just to let out all the aggression. And they're like, we should. There's like, there's two options. We just kill kill ourselves with this gun, and we just go the easy way out, or uh, we just kind of wait here until uh, we lose our minds mm-hmm. and like try to spend as long as we can together. And um, I think this is an interesting like difference between the two of them. Point of difference here is that uh, Riley reacts pretty much with silence, like she's kind of stoic and alone. And like contemplating it, and Ellie explodes, right? Like she's angry, mm-hmm. she's smashing everything. And um, I think they talk about the after the episode thing, and they also talk about it on the podcast a little. Which is like the thing about this moment is that Ellie has not yet actually had to experience loss, right? Um, whereas right, Riley, yeah. we know, has because of her parents. And so the sort of point of difference here is like, you know, it's 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 not a thing that yeah, at least had to like deal with and it's and it's part of why she is the way she is in a lot of respects right like that that mm-hmm. like uh morbid sort of like streak that she has and stuff is kind of a result of that of like it's it's a little abstract to her at this point at least um whereas like mm-hmm. you know with riley it's it's basically settled in a bit um oh yeah, yeah like you said they they kind of like well we can go out this way or that way and uh as we know from the second episode there um they decide to to go out together and like the the sort of poetic lose their mind together type thing but as we obviously can imagine that's not exactly how it goes is it yeah and we get we probably can kind of guess what happens next mm-hmm. based on what she says in episode i want to say 5 it was four. or 4 yeah when she said Kansas city she said i've when Joel asked her, "Have you ever heard someone with a gun before?" and she said, "No." No, she says, so "She I says she has." Because she's talking about the fight. I, I, okay, yeah, right. I meant, I meant that to say that Joel. If it, if it was her yeah, first yeah, time, that's yeah, what yeah. I meant. Think about right, yeah. But you're right. Yeah. So yeah, clearly that uh, Riley loses, becomes a zombie, and Ellie doesn't. So she probably has to put her down. Yeah. And then has to live with the. I would not die. I would think so. I think that's exactly what we're meant to get from all that. Um. And uh, probably Marlene finds her in the mall. Yeah, yeah. This has to be pretty much directly before. I, she might even be wearing the same shirt if if you paid close enough attention. I don't recall now, but I, she probably wouldn't surprise yeah, me. It's probably directly prior because yeah, obviously after she's been bitten like that, she wouldn't have just gone back to Fedra or anything. Like right. yeah, the fireflies would probably roll up, being like, "All right." Um, Riley, like we're taking you to Atlanta, and that's probably when they would have met and been like, "Wait, what's going on? Why aren't you a zombie yet?" And that's how this whole thing would have kicked off. So it's mm-hmm. probably only a literally a whatever it is a week or so before the events of the first episode. I think it's ten. Days? Yeah, whatever they say it is. So From the start, but yeah. So that's Ellie's first big like sort of loss, I guess. Um, and it definitely, you can see how it would inform a lot of what's going on with her and. So we cut back to, um, to the whatever present 
present story here where we see that Ellie is not leaving, but she's actually searching the house frantically for something to help Jill with. And Mm -hmm. she finds some thread and decides um, to sew them back back up, up. put them back together. Which is like realistically probably one of the only options available to her and probably one of the only things she would even be familiar enough with to even attempt, right? Like, Mm, yeah, she doesn't really know presumably like a lot but i think they right. stitches get mentioned it a couple times right like in this episode yeah so that would be something where she would kind of be aware of and it's like all right i guess you just fucking stitch you uh, stitch up a person all right let's go yeah yeah that's basically where we leave it off right she uh she's like all right yeah. i'm gonna get to work and uh yeah it's jolie's dying on a mattress <laughs> in the basement of somebody yeah else. basically basically so I, uh, yeah, I quite like this. I, you know, people had some kind of complaints about this episode. Basically, the idea that this isn't super like relevant, or that it's kind of like this was kind of a burner episode. Um, I, yeah. I don't think I agree. Oh no, I mean it's, it's Ellie backstory. We kind of need that exactly. Like I understand the frustration to want to move the main story forward, especially when we have this like kind of more or less a cliffhanger. I mean, I, tense moment. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably obvious to most people that like okay. Joel's not going to bleed out in this basement, but still, you want to know what's happening next. I understand mm. that on some level, but I sh- definitely would not agree with the characterization of this episode as like pointless or anything. Like you said, I you know that like this Ellie's backstory is pretty important. You know, without getting in too much detail, I'll, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, Ellie is as much, if not more, of a main character in this thing. You know, than Joel, right? Like. Yeah. Tank, like, she doesn't, we don't need to know anything about her, you know, outside of what her interactions with Joel are, is, I, I wouldn't agree. And, you know, right. again, for all the reasons we talked about, like, it definitely tells us things about the world, right? About the how it mm-hmm. all works here and stuff in, in interesting ways, I think. And again, it, it informs her character in a, in really important ways. Yeah. So I do not have any problems with it on that front. No, I don't know. How many episodes do we have left? Two. Of two really, just two? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, you know, whatever. This week, next Very week, and then, uh, and the finale. I don't know what the I next one's wait. called. Two years. Yeah, a million, billion years until they do another season, because that's how TV works now, don't you know? Yeah, because every HBO Max show takes two years to come out, so we have to wait a whole year between it and any of the good shows we like. You see, I think I, I sent it to you, right? Or maybe I didn't, but... um. The Euphoria is like maybe gonna start filming like this year. <laughs> oh, I I have not seen that, but only a maybe. Yeah, well, I'm I'm exaggerating a yeah. little for yeah comedic effect. I'll see if I can find it real, real quick. But yeah, it's like they're just they're so ridiculous nowadays. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know what it is, man. I love I love them taking their time. It didn't used to be this way, did it? We used to be a we country. used to be a real country. Things used to matter. We used to have morals, but it's just, it's just like I don't, I don't, I don't get it, man. We didn't spend four billion dollars an episode of television. Lord of the Rings didn't cost a billion dollars to make. Especially because, like, we like Euphoria just fine or whatever, but it's like it is largely just a you know, it's like a teen drama. Like, there's not a lot going on in terms of you know. Yeah, they're not riding dragons and shit. Pre and post, you wouldn't think, but yeah, so. Only a couple weeks left. Maybe they're going to spend all the money to de-age all their 40-year-old actors. <laughs> they're going to need to sooner or later here if they keep yeah. this this up, huh? Like, yeah, no kidding. 
Yeah, sorry guys. The reason it took so long is because we had to de-age everyone manually because they're all fifty now. Yeah. yeah. Hope you don't mind. And and because Fez is like a six-year-old man. Uh but yeah. So we only got a couple left. We gotta we gotta see what happens next week and then the resolution to this whole thing, really. It's um I don't know what oh. the next episode is, but the last one's called Look for the Light. So because the first episode's called When You're Lost in the Darkness. And that's the that's the that's the Firefly uh, motto. When you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. So that's what we got to look forward to here. A couple more. Um, overall, I mean, we've right. you know now that we're coming up on the home stretch, I think it's fair to say we've uh, we've massively enjoyed the show so far. Oh, absolutely! It's been a huge success. Yeah, and well, any reservations we had when we looked, talked about the trailers? Yeah, yeah. Weld. Yeah, it was it, our uh, our confidence was well placed, I suppose, as it is usually. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's rare that we get almost anything wrong. Of course, oh, yeah, we're never wrong. Of course, we were going to be right about this. You know, like that time we said that the Halo show was going to be pretty sweet, and it and it of course was. <laughs> wasn't it? it? Was and we all loved it. We can't wait for season two. We're gonna watch it totally. We all loved it. Well, some of that's true. We will probably uh, watch it. Not the part I want to be true. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, there it is. There it is. Um, yeah, anything else? Say? Yeah. Did, you, did you find this episode good? Oh yeah, I, I massively enjoyed this episode. It was oh, I really? enjoyed all of these. Very good. Oh, it, yeah. Um, I, I will say it is the it is the lowest uh, rated episode of the whole series thus far at a um absolutely pitiful ninety six percent. So, oh, well, the show's it shows ruined. I don't want to see. Well, two. really, what blood. what you're seeing here, Jack classic example of when you go woke you, you might get a little broke hmm? so you put two you put some gay people on my screen and suddenly you're gonna lose you know one to women? two percentage point <laughs> perfect and you know well that's just what's bound to be important. i don't want to see my i don't want to see empowered young not uh LGBT women. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Going broke. Going woke. Going broke. Mm-hmm. Bring that middle aged band back if you could. <laughs> if you could, please. But now, what is and like there has been some of that going on. Um, like oh, just like with the just like with episode three, the last of us going woke, getting broke, or whatever the fuck they like to say. Yeah. But I mean, the thing about the Last of Us, um, is that it's been very gay the whole time. Like there was oh, never, yeah. this is not the type of thing where if there is even any merit to the idea that like you can complain about, um, you know, there being gay people or whatever, or adding gay people or however you want to look at it. This isn't mm-hmm. the show that you can do that with because they didn't add this to it. Right. This is not an example of taking X, Y, or Z property that you liked and, and putting too much woke into it. Um, because right. it's, it's just there. It was always there. Ellie was never not gay. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just just the way it is. Uh, same with like Bill and Frank. Like it's not quite so again like obvious in the game, but it's there. So anyone who's like, oh, I don't know that we needed a whole a whole episode about this, like you know, yeah. this sort of love story between these two people. It's like one, you're wrong. Um, two, we're gonna we talked about we talked about this all the way through, right? This whole series is about the whole point of it has been repeatedly stated by the creator there it's about love and like every episode thus far you'll see in addition to joel and ellie um evolving right mm-hmm. we have seen some other example of it. some other um relationship outside of joel and ellie's that reflects some aspect of love and that's we got that in this episode which is like kind of one of the worst ones like this is much more reminiscent to like you know the first episode with joel and sarah 
um, yeah. than it is to almost anything else, which is like just the worst kind of loss that you can experience as a result. Oh, right? yeah. You know, it's not like Bill and Frank get to die old men together. It's just like, yeah, sometimes after a long fruitful life. Exactly. Sometimes the worst thing you can imagine happens. So yeah. <laughs> look forward to that, I guess. Uh, sometimes life is the was just the worst. Especially when you live in the zombie apocalypse or whatever. So, Oh, yeah. Most especially. But yeah, I, I just don't understand anyone who could be like, well, they kind of wasted an episode with the, with the, you know, the love plot between these two characters. And it's like, I don't... This show has been almost exclusively characters, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's honestly way less zombies and shit than I was expecting even, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Kind of knew that there was going to be less in the game, because again, the, we, we've gone into this, but the nature of show versus game, right? But even still... That's all this show's been. So I don't know how you could get through the first six episodes and then be like, whoa, real stinker this time. But hey, what do I know? Yeah, people are foolish and low meter literacy and all that. Well, and I think because we love Pedro here, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's doing great as Joel. Absolutely stellar. But also, Bella Ramsey is incredible as Ellie. Mm. And I thought Storm Reed did great this episode. I thought they were. I agree. I thought those are all around great actors. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. I thought they were plenty compelling, and like I, something I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they're the they're the same age in real life, Bella Ramsey and Storm Reed, oh. but I think they pull off that they sort of the slight age difference that is meant to be at play there. Oh yeah, it definitely seems like that because I mean, also I believe Bella Ramsey's much shorter. Yeah, she's so kinda... she's a very small person just in real life, so that's always going to work to her advantage. It, it's kind of a double edged sword of this is that. It works really well to be Ellie in season one when she's meant to be someone much younger. She's, you know, she's meant to be 14. And so even as an 18, 17, 18 year old, whatever she was when she made this, she can pull that off pretty well. Um, but getting into season two, presumably they're you know, they're still going to be doing the role. It's going to mm-hmm. be then harder to like pull off an, like an aging up because it's, she's, you know, they're not going to get noticeably taller or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because she is actually done growing. But uh, yeah, great show. Love it. Love gushing about it every week. Um, we love our HBO shows on here, clearly. Well, most of well, most of them. I love most of them. Which what, Oh, oh, Westworld. Yeah, you big, you big yeah. jerk. You big meanie. But uh, just kill the robots. That's all I got to say. It's about be that. a shame this is done. I mean, we. I'm sure there's something yeah. we're not thinking of, but or I'm not thinking of right now at least. But it's like. Yeah, loving The Last of Us. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a, a drought of HBO shows, too, as well, in the next couple of months here. Oh, yeah. Because, again, they take a million years between them now, so you know we're not getting any Euphoria. We're not getting any <laughs> Oh God, no. House of the Dragon. Getting no uh, something else. I mean, they're never making Westworld again, so. Oh, yeah, that's never happening anymore. Is there another HBO Max show we watch with, with House of the Dragon, or am I crazy? I can't remember. Okay. Perfect. We're gonna have to just start going back watching old shit. You seen yeah, just you seen Chernobyl? No, we watched Chernobyl. We watched Barry. Did you see Powder? No. Where Kit Harrington does the gunplotter pot gunpowder plot? I have not. I don't know what I just said. But... You can watch the time traveler's wife, that one that cancelled with Kit Harrington's wife. Is that what that is? Uh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it is what that is. Yeah. I was thinking of Outlander, which is kind of a thing about a it's another similar i know about outlander that's time travel right and wives yeah. and stuff so it's all kind of the same excellent all right, <laughs> all right well with that we could probably wrap up right about here you think oh i do i very much think no. 
perfect. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can always uh, listen to us wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, you can always contact us on Twitter at Akitech Jazz. It's Akitech J-A-Z. Uh, on Gmail at ArchitectJazz at gmail.com or on Instagram at The Architect Podcast. Our intro was done by Celery Salt. You can find him on Spotify and SoundCloud as always. Our logo was done by Jeffrey Gonzalez. You can always find him at InkOcean.jpg on Instagram or on Redbubble. And as always, we wrote it. We produced it. We built all the sets. Take care to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night. And Godspeed.